Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Hello and welcome to the latest Driven Chat podcast. My name is John Marker and I am sat opposite right now. <laughs> By me, Rachel Downey, your oh. motorsport expert. Was that an R? Oh, yeah. Hi. It was like a semi-sympathetic R. <laughs> R. Rachel Downey, yes. Rachel and I are bringing you a very special episode this week because we are sat in the lobby, the entrance lobby to Envision Racing, the Formula E team, just outside the boundaries at Silverstone, home of motorsport in the UK. And we are we're sat in quite a glamorous location, aren't we? Because we are surrounded by metalwork. We are all the trophies that... I was about to say that I will never win. Of course I'm never going to win them. But all the trophies, like, I will never have. But yeah, all the trophies the guys have won over the years. Many, many, many trophies. Really want to take a few. Yeah, I don't... I'm, don't I can do it. No, I'm going to... No, no. I'm going to draw the line so you're not allowed to steal any of the trophies <laughs> right. that are here. Um, but what is coming up in today's show, we have got four amazing interviews with you with four very, very different people. Um, starting off, what, do you want to give our, a run-through of, of who we've spoken to so far? Yes, we have. We, so I was just like, where's my list? Where's my list of people that I've already spoken to? So Sylvain. Yeah. Sylvain Filippi. He's just, he's just walking past and we're waving at right now. Um, that was a brilliant first chat. We were so lucky for our first chat to be with Sylvain. It was brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. So good. Absolutely. And Sylvain being the big boss, effectively, isn't he? Yeah. Principal of the team. Yeah. Shares a fantastic story about how he, how he started in the automotive industry with a passion and a keen interest in electrification long before it kind of became mainstream. And that ultimately led him to being responsible for running his own Formula E team. Uh, we then speak to one of the drivers, Nick Cassidy driver number 37 for the team who joins us and yeah gives a really deep and meaningful insight into what it's like driving for a Formula E team versus Le Mans versus the kind of entry level of his career as well uh, and then we're going to catch up with Alice Powell who's an amazing amazing lady yeah. had a great chat with Alice. Alice Powell has a fantastic conversation about racing in the W series and telling us all about what it's like being a Essentially, essentially a lady in the world of motorsport which is quite a male dominated world so yeah really lovely deep dive there and then we finish off with the technical director Mike Lug who talks about his background from going into V8 supercars in Australia through to now running the technical side of a Formula E team so yeah some quite interesting chats coming up Rachel I think you'll agree a very full afternoon John a very full afternoon it's certainly <laughs> been a full afternoon for us not so much for the listeners it would have been an afternoon worth of listening it's but, true it's true you know we'll, we've condensed it down somewhat so that you've got a nice uh, a nice bump along episode uh, but yes we thought we'd say a very quick hello before we dive in and also remind you that if you want to get in contact with the show perhaps whilst you're listening or perhaps afterwards if there's any questions that you have you can send us an email podcast at drivenchat.com is our email address 
that's podcast at drivenchat.com. What I would like to do is work up towards another episode in the not too distant future where we do one of our listeners' letters episodes. And Rachel, you've not been around for one of these I yet. I have not. What's that like? It's brilliant. Is it? We essentially get our listener. <laughs> Again, our listener, singular. Our one listener sends us emails to uh, ask questions, share stories, give anecdotes, ask for advice. Oh, brilliant. You name it, you do oh, it. Ask me for advice. I'll be great at that. Okay, there you go. So subject <laughs> subject line to your email is, I'd like to ask Rachel Downey, dot, yes. dot, 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 and then whatever you want it to be. Do it. And yeah, in a month or two, we'll um, we'll attack through the list and Fair. work through it. So yeah, podcast at drivenchat.com. Also, just a reminder, if you'd like to see what we're doing on a day-to-day basis, you can do so via our social media feeds at Driven Chat on your preferred social media platform. And of course, a collection of lovely videos for you to watch on YouTube and written articles to read on the website. You name it, we've got it. If you like cars and stuff... We've got you covered. <laughs> For now, though, we'll let you dive into this week's podcast with uh, Sylvain Filippi, Nick Cassidy, Alice Powell and Mike Lug. And we'll speak to you very briefly again right at the end, just to make sure you were listening. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. Hello, my name is uh, Sylvain Filippi. I am the MD and CTO of the Envision Racing Formula E team. Welcome to the podcast and thank you for having us here. Thank you for having me. It's great. Yeah, we're currently sat in your lobby, your entry lobby to your office and your building, and we're surrounded by, I'm not even going to try and count how many trophies are currently sat behind you, but it's a very, very impressive trophy cabinet. So that's a quite a nice thing to see when you first walk through the door, isn't it? Yeah, it's dead, yeah. Over the years, eight years of racing and quite a lot of trophies, we're actually missing some, uh, because some of them are replicas. Ah. Our drivers actually get to keep some of the right. trophies. So we are missing a few, actually. But yeah, that's, that's enough. There's enough. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'm sure in this conversation, we're going to take a bit of a deep dive into your team. But also, we'd love to hear about your history as well. And we've obviously got Rachel here with us as well. Rachel has got all of the facts and figures. She is our motorsport expert on our radio show. And therefore, I'm leaning on Rachel heavily on this, on this side <laughs> because she's got all the facts and figures um, to quite rightly so, make you guys sound absolutely fantastic. But Super. before we dive into that, what I'd really like to explore, as I like to with many of our guests, is find out how a person like you gets to a position you're in and how it all began, really, because I, I've got a few notes about your history and your employment history, but I'd like to go right back to the beginning and find out how and why cars have become a passion for you and what ultimately has led you into the position you're in today. Okay. Um, yeah, it was a long, uh, long journey. So I don't know how much time we have, but I'll give you the short version and then <laughs> we can explain later. So I guess it started when I was 10 or 11 years old. And actually, um, I already loved driving. My, um, my father um, allowed me to uh, drive our car um, on a car park in the one around, mm-hmm. even though it's probably illegal. Um, but it was clearly no one around, no risk. And I was really quite tall for my age. Um, I grew up quite quick and then stayed there. So I could reach the pedals and, and play. So I was driving our car when I was really young, really liked it. And then, um, and then I had this passion for cars. I don't really know where it came from. My father was quite into cars, but not, you know, not a crazy passion. But it started from when I was really young, really, uh, reading all the motorsport magazines and all the car magazines and so on. I was a bit of a Bible to know anything about cars and you know, the power and all that stuff. Um, yeah, and everything, and it followed for, for the rest of my life. So 
I started driving at 16 years old in France. I don't know if it's still the case. You could, uh, the normal age to start driving is 18, but you could drive at 16 if your parents are uh, next to you in a car. Oh, wow. So, so I took all my lessons at 16 instead of 18. And I literally got my driver's license on my 18th birthday. That's how right. keen I was. Oh, wow. That's literally how keen I was, right? <laughs> and I passed it first time, no problem. Um, and yeah, and I enjoyed driving so much. So then um, um, I did a, a business school in, in France um, uh, after my, my baccalaureate, which um, had a really a very niche master's degree in the automotive industry. I think that was the only one uh, at the time in France. Very, spe very specialized. So it's a five-year five year master's degree with one year, the last one, fully specialized on, on the automotive industry. So um, more the business side, you know, mm. like dealer um, finance structure and so on. So I did that, which led me straight to, um, to working in the automotive industry uh, immediately. So the day after I graduated, no, no gap here, nothing. I went straight to, uh, uh, I worked for BMW and then I worked straight for Daimler Chrysler. Um, um, as a product manager for the smart cars, you know, it was, so yeah. that was 2003 when I graduated. So, oh. um, so it was the beginning of the smart cars and very popular in Paris and other, and other mm -hmm. places. That was all in Paris, I should have said. Um, so I did that for a few years. Um, and then long story short, Daimler Chrysler then split and it became Mercedes again. Chrysler was sold. Um, I don't speak German. Um, a lot of the responsibilities went back to Germany. Anyway, it was time to change. So I moved to the UK, um, and then, uh, long story short, I started working in consulting uh, for a company called Frost & Sullivan in their, again, guess what, their automotive practice. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and that's where I started learning about electric cars. That was really, uh, up to that point, I was a petrol head. I was lucky to drive really nice company cars at Mercedes and, and so on. But uh, in 2007, um, all our consulting projects pretty much were around electric cars. Uh, it was the beginning. So Nissan working on the Leaf project, yeah. um, uh, Mercedes, Hyundai, Kia, um, Peugeot Citroën, all the main manufacturers and their suppliers as well, trying to, you know, knowing that this is coming and trying to think about their supply chains and their model and so on. So we did a lot of work. And then really long story short, after two years of doing this, crazy idea in the pub with a friend <laughs> to say, you know what, we can see what's coming. We have a great insight in the industry. Electric cars are going to come and flood the market, um, and no one is aware of it. No one is prepared for it. No one has any idea what it is. At the time, we literally had the Gwiz in London, right? The little yeah. electric yeah. car and milk floats. That's pretty much the extent yeah. of electric cars you could see. Uh, but we had an insight into what's coming in five, ten years' time, which was vastly different. Um, so, long story short, we thought, okay, we need to. Um, get the, the public to catch up with the, the understanding of electric cars. Mm. And there's no better way to do that than to start um, a racing championship. Very naive, but <laughs> as well as some of the good ideas. So anyway, um, in 2009, um, we quit our jobs uh, and started uh, something called the EV Cup, Electric Vehicle Cup, which was basically similar to Formula E, but slightly smaller in scale. But same principle, uh, the idea to create a, a championship purely for electric cars. Um, on racetracks instead of cities, uh, a bit easier, um, and, and to you know, change people's perception and get people educated about electric cars. Um, so it was a crazy journey as any startup, um, but actually out of really nowhere, we got a lot of traction straight away. We worked with, um, we worked with the royal family on the, on the it was a called Start event. It was a Prince Charles, Prince Charles uh, initiative on the Mall. Uh, part of the Prince's Trust. <coughs> uh, we had many articles in the Sunday Times and many, many publications which made us quite visible. We raised uh, quite a bit of money very quickly. 
uh, and we put everything together, started building cars and, and putting everything together. And as we were about to go racing, uh, and the cars were already, uh, already in place, then the FIA announced their intent to create a championship called Formula E. And it was a, uh, they call it a call for expression of interest to, um, to run Formula E. And so I went back to the board and I said, we can't really have two electric car championships when there's still no electric cars on the road, you know, it's a bit crowded. Uh, so anyway, long story short, we became involved in the Formula E tender process. I learned a lot uh, throughout, that took about a year, all this. And then ultimately for me, it became quite obvious that the most fun um, involvement for me would be to be in a team. Mm. Um, because in my view, I think it, it was the right call. Um, it's quite fun to be a competitor. Um, even though running a championship is also fun, but being a competitor is, uh, is where the tech and, um, and the real passion for the cars is. So, so yeah, because we were a really early mover and, and, and in connection with all these people, we, um, we, um, we got offered um, a team slot, basically. Um, and then it all came together with, uh, with Virgin. Uh, Virgin wanted to uh, be part of Formula E, which was great. Formally, the promoters and the FIA wanted names, of course, big names in the sport to start with. So, so Virgin was great for it, and so it all came together. Um, and then we started the team um, in 2013. Wow. I'm getting the theme here that you are not somebody that likes to wait around. You pass your driving test on your birthday, the first day that you possibly can. You walk straight out of your degree, straight into a role. You express an interest in starting electric racing championships before electric racing championships are even a thing. And then the day that the FIA announced that they've got an intention to start one up, you say, yeah, fine, I'll do that. There's, there's a definitely a theme here, isn't there? And, <laughs> and did people think you were crazy when you came up with this idea for the EV Cup and then you, you said you left your job? I mean, yes. that's... Yes. Looking back, does yes. that feel a bit kind of like that was a little bit insane. Completely. It was yeah. completely bonkers. And we were actually, we actually misjudged the timing a little, maybe by a year or two. It was maybe a year or two too early. We felt right because you're right, actually, I've never really heard it that way, but probably too impatient. Mm -hmm. And because we knew what was coming, there was no doubt. Electric cars are coming, in the, all the manufacturers are investing heavily. This is the way to go to clean the air, all that stuff. So for me, there was no reason to wait. We're doing this now, you know? Um, but of course, there's a lot of inertia, in, especially yeah. in, in yeah. large industries like the automotive industry. Uh, but yes, at the beginning, the first six months, no one believed in it. People thought we were crazy. But then on the flip side, it, it only takes a few people and a few right influential people to believe in it, and suddenly everything changes. Yeah. yeah suddenly you get the investment, you get, uh, we get uh, so much PR and, and articles just because the idea really captured people's imagination. Um, and, uh, and, and people love to you know, challenge, right? And it's, yeah. it's, a human, it's a human trait. So people are like, how can you even possibly race electric cars? Look at an electric car on the road. Mm. And I was like, no, but it's not going to be the same tech. Let me, let me give some numbers of what an electric car can do. Yeah. But fair enough, no, no, no one, um, no one uh, knew that because that's normal, right? Like, no one I think you're absolutely right. It's fascinating to think back to, do you say it was 2007 that you were getting, first getting involved in... Yeah, electric two two years of consulting projects on EVs, so 07 to 09, and we started the EV Cup, uh, yeah, mid-summer 09. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. at that time, you know, I remember that time very well, and electric cars were kind of still, at that point, seen as a bit of a joke. Yeah, like, completely. It wasn't, this wasn't going to be a thing. You mentioned the G-Wiz, which was pro probably for a long time the only electric car that you see driving around in London, and it was a laughing stock then as much as it is now. It was kind yeah. of like, that's... Yep. That's if that's the PR vision yeah. for electric cars, it's a disaster. Yeah. It's not happening. Yeah. And can you remember what your 
let's say even your peers from university would think, because I guess a lot of them may not have expressed an interest or gone towards electrification of automotive. A lot of them might have stayed with internal combustion engines. Were they kind of like in touch with you and come on, that, come on, Sylvan, that's not going to be a thing. Or were they kind of like, oh, maybe we've missed a trick here? Yeah, I think 50-50. Yeah. A lot of people... Sounds a bit edgy, but I think say the older generation, people yeah. who had been in the automotive industry for 20, 30 years, where I worked with, they, it was just too new, the tech they didn't really understand, it was just about the hydrogen, so they didn't quite understand. People more of my generation kind of knew it was coming, mm. so, so they could understand the rational, but no one had the bravery or the stupidity or the naivety, whatever you call it, <laughs> to, actually, to actually act on it. Um, but um, people, uh, those people understood the principle behind it, I guess. Yeah. And I've got on my notes as well, sorry, Rachel, I've got on my notes here that you were an early adopter of the Tesla Roadster. Is that right? Yeah, I didn't own one, but I was, um, uh, because of what we were doing with um, EV Cup and also the the Princess Trust, we organized an event, and at the time, so which year was it? I'm going to say something 2010, I think. Um, There was many activities that started, and um, Tag Heuer and Tesla had an activation where they had a Tesla Roadster going around the world, um, it was a fully Tagoya branded Tesla Roadster, I remember, gray, uh, gray livery. Um, and we organized for the, for the final stage, if you want, of that World Tour of that Tesla Roadster to arrive on the mile for our event. And so we had a showcase of all the most um, exciting electric cars at the time, which there were not many. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Citroën, the Citroën Revolt, I remember, we had some prototype race cars, uh, Tesla was there. Um, there's a company called Lightning GT at the time that had a really, anyway, all, any kind of prototypes and, and, and supercars we could find. And so, yeah, we built some relationship. I drove a Tesla Roadster um, as soon as it came to the UK. I think it was 2008, maybe. Yeah. Um, and I was really blown away by the performance. So you literally, on the road, you had a G-Wiz on one hand, and then the only other <laughs> car you could drive or buy was a Tesla Roadster, <laughs> yeah. which was already doing 0 to 16, 3 point something seconds, yeah. you know? So... People started to pay attention and say, oh, that's interesting, that car. Mm. Um, and then as soon as I drove it, it kind of validated all my my ideas and my assumptions of what an electric car could do. Of course, it was still pretty crude and heavy and so on, but mm. it, it validated the idea. Yeah, um, I think that's a theme that still to this day is, mm. is running, isn't it? A lot of yeah. people that are still kind of in two minds, like, is electrification for me? I don't think it is. You put them, yeah. put anybody in the driver's seat of a Tesla yeah. now and ask them to drive it. And I would be dumbfounded if anyone goes, okay, I don't understand it now. Yeah. Everyone gets in it and goes, yeah. right. Yeah, that's pretty bonkers, isn't it? So therefore, yeah. I can believe in it. You've got to experience it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, you know, it's very difficult, especially something, uh, the car automotive industry, it's quite emotive, right? It's mm. engineering, but also you've got to experience it. So just um, throwing numbers at people of torque and acceleration yeah. and whatever only goes so far, you've got, you've got to experience it. So. Yeah. I'm thinking back to the PR struggle between trying to convince the average road user that electric cars are coming. That's one challenge because, of course, we all have our beloved internal combustion cars. The next challenge must have been trying to convince the average motorsport enthusiast who loves V8s, V10s, V12s, historic racing cars, rotary racing cars, that no, the future is in fact going to be a car with no internal combustion engine at all. We can all remember when Formula E was first announced and it got a really mixed reception because, of course, some people were really excited by it and others were kind of like, not a chance. What was that like from your perspective as somebody that really was quite reliant on the fact that it was going to take off? Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, convincing the motorsport fan base that motorsport is going to go electric 
was a far greater challenge than, <laughs> than doing that on the road car side. But I think the, the approach from the beginning was electric racing is not here to replace combustion engine, right? Yeah. Or at least not anytime soon. It's, it's in addition, it's something new. So you can tune in or not, like it's your choice. We're not you know, removing any other motorsports. That was the main, the main angle, which still is the case today, you know? Um, so yeah, I think, it's, I think it's fair to say in the early years, whether it was EV Cup or early years of Formula E, um, the vast majority of motorsports fans were like, this is not going to work. It's, yeah, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. it's lacking the emotion of the noise or whatever. Yeah. A proportion of, I don't know what the percentage, but a, a proportion of people who were more like, maybe more on the engineering side and whatever, actually got it because they understood the inherent um, capabilities of an electric motor. It's actually better suited to move a, a car, any car, mm. or in, any race car. It's smaller, lighter, more torque. Uh, you can do more stuff with it. It's better. Of course, the batteries at the time, seven, eight, ten years ago, were not what they are now. So that was always the challenge. But some people really understood that, okay, yeah, you can probably make a really fast electric uh, race car, which then will be exciting and, and so on. But it was not the majority. I think that's um, that's fair to say. Um, and then it grew, it grew over time. So as always, it's proof of concept, right? Like you've got to develop a real car. You can only go as far so far if you talk, right? You've got to demonstrate. So, so building the prototype, showing what the cars can do, and the first year of Formula E was really to prove that you can go racing with electric cars. It was not so much about performance or speed or whatever. It was just to prove that you can have exciting racing with uh, with electric cars. If we passed that test, all good. If we had failed that, that would probably have been the end. Um, so I was. I spent a few years of my life investing in that because I was really convinced, deeply convinced that it would work and it would be exciting. And the noise is only one of the ingredients, but actually you can watch any form of, you know, you can go and race trolleys around your supermarket. That can be fun, you know, you can, <laughs> you can race anything. And I was quite convinced that, um, that um, electric racing would, would work. But yeah, until you do it, you don't know for sure, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. What were the biggest challenges in that first year? <laughs> the list is too long. There are many challenges. <laughs> How long do we have? In, in hindsight, you know, and when you speak to the um, FEO, the promoters of the sport, they were equally, you know, we are, we are here where we are now because collectively we did a, a pretty good job at starting the championship, but FEO and the promoters were a key part of that success um, because they really set up the championship really well in terms of the infrastructure, the teams they got in, the energy behind it, finding all these cities and these places mm -hmm. to go race in the first year was pretty incredible. But the challenge were, there's a million challenges. I mean, to give you a quick timeline, right? We started, we were one of the first teams to be set up and signed up, and that was at the end of 2013. We basically signed the paperwork, but we were the three of us in the company. We were a startup, right? We were not a race team. We were a bunch of guys in a, in a, in a meeting room somewhere, you know? Um, end of 2013. The timeline was we were supposed to receive our cars, our two race cars, by June, I think it was June 2014. Wow. So six months later... And we were meant to have our first race in Beijing at the other side of the world in September 2014. Mm -hmm. So my first year was pretty stressful. I only have good memories now. I think we have a selective memory. We forget the bad <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Of course. But in six months, we had to, for, in our case, we had to build an entire team, uh, find premises to be based at, get all the equipment, all the tooling, basically build an entire race team in six months. It was far from perfect, wow. don't get me wrong. But, but we got... We went racing and we finished on a podium in, yeah. in uh, Beijing in September 2014, which was pretty, pretty incredible. Um, other teams were actually better placed than us at the beginning because there were existing race teams in other championships like Apt and Dams and so on, doing yeah. F2, F3 or whatever. So, so for them, it was a question of 
learning about electric racing, but they already had the engineers, the mechanics, whatever, the drivers, sure. when literally we started from scratch, which then quite quickly paid off because once we got uh, established, settled, got the right people in the right positions and so on, then we became very competitive because we were fully focused on Formula E. Yeah. Formula E is what we do Monday, from Monday morning to Friday evening, including weekends, when others were still a bit distracted by other championships. So it quickly worked out really well. But the beginning was tense. We had so to answer your question. The changes were finding people by building a structure, finding sponsors, uh, <laughs> uh, learning about the cars and the technology. You know, when these cars were delivered to us in Dunnington, uh, a bit early summer 2014, we had no idea, like, we looked around the cars, like, you know, what, what is this thing, you know? Oh, wow. um, the software, the controls, how do you even start these cars? <laughs> um, and then um, recruiting drivers. So actually, we were quite lucky. It was actually quite, quite good from the beginning, but many drivers at the beginning were not convinced that formally... I was going to ask you that. Yeah, yeah how did yeah. you convince the drivers? Yeah. So in our case, I don't know, I don't remember exactly, but from, we, we had Sam Bird and Jaime yeah. Guasari in our first year, two exceptionally talented drivers. Um... Um, and actually, it was it was fine. They were excited by it, and it worked out okay. Probably deep down, you know, they would tell me now, but they probably were on the fence on whether that's going to work or not. It was just taking a bit of a punt, um, but it was fine. But yeah, overall, a lot of drivers uh, in the more established uh, racing, like F1 and others, were were thinking that's never going to work. You know, yeah. like just. Um, but then, as you as you found out, I think a lot of people in the early years go back to your early question um, that you know love to hate and so that's never going to work whatever actually I think curiosity made that means that most of them were watching from the beginning yeah mm. so actually our audience informally grew very quickly because we captured the audience that was genuinely interested in something new and electric racing and so on but also all the people that thought oh that's never going to work they were still watching of by, by, by curiosity yeah. and you know and yeah. so ultimately the audience was actually pretty large pretty quickly yeah. Yeah. Um, because of that and then it helped it helped the championship um, to, to carry on and grow you can always rely on skeptics to boost the audience yeah. because yeah. always because they're <laughs> yeah. always going to be just yeah. as keen to watch as the people yeah. they want to be the ones that go told you told you it wouldn't work and yet they're the yeah. ones that are making I guess it's better than so indifference right like it's better Co to completely right yeah. it's probably yeah. probably what happened in hindsight yeah. Yeah. yeah so let's jump up to the modern day because of course now we're here as Envision, we're here as a, a successful team, and in the season of 2022, in your words, how would you say the season's going so far? Um, up and down, so you have so many factors at play here, so this is one of our trickier seasons in terms of, we're not in the top three, we're normally always in the top three or, or winning, so slightly tougher season in terms of results up and down. But it's, it's due to many factors. And that's actually what I think the reason why people like Formula E so much now, and it's quite interesting, is that the championship is just so competitive mm. and so tight. And it's just not me saying it. You can speak to the drivers, to other teams, to FIA. They will tell you this is probably the most hardly fought championship in, in the whole of motorsport. The, and it's due to many factors, like the regulations, the technical regulations and sporting regulations mean that the sport is quite tight anyway like the cars are built even though the cars are not the same people still think that because they look the same and fair enough uh, but actually under the bonnet you know uh, under the engine cover all the powertrains are different um, so we build our own cars but because of the regulations the performance is still pretty close um, but the caliber of teams now all the teams informally are just the best of, of what of what's out there really in motorsport in terms of engineering and then the drivers you look at our driver lineup I mean a lot of people in motorsport would argue this is the best grid in motorsport, like 
I think so, but it's not just me saying it. Like, it's a really incredible yeah, lineup of talent yeah. in Formula E. So you put all this together. If you watch Formula E races recently, uh, especially with the new, the new qualifying format we have, um, you're literally talking hundreds of a second, right? Motorsports, you're happy when it's tenths of seconds, yeah. but in Formula E, it's hundreds of seconds. Yeah. Like, you miss, uh, you know, being in the top, uh, in the duels, in the top four. Or you, you literally miss it by hundreds of seconds. Um, and that means... You know, everyone, every team is doing a great job. But if you're just a tiny, tiny bit of somewhere, you paid by starting P10 or P15 instead of P2. When in other, most of the motorsports, you have a much more established mm. picking order, right? And you know, you know, if you do a good job, you'll be P2, P3. If you do a bad job, you'll be P5, right? Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Here, you do a really good job, you'll win. You do one tiny mistake somewhere, you're at the back. It's wow. it's a really brutal sport for everyone, the drivers, the engineers, um, everyone here. So and also. We are in the last year of our Gen 2 car, right? Yeah. We work in cycles, right? So, so four-year cycle in Gen 1, four-year cycle in Gen 2. So also it's natural in motorsport that when you have had um, a stability of regulation for a number of years, everyone's converging and it becomes very competitive. So we are this year really at the point where it's the most competitive it's ever been. Like, like it's, so, it's so close between pretty much all the teams, which I guess is exciting, right? It makes my life stressful and, and more, <laughs> more, more, more difficult. Yeah. But yeah, it's brilliant. That's... That's real sport, right? That's what some of the forms of motorsport I'm a bit less excited about because if you always know who's going to win, it's not really sport in my view, right? Yeah. It's, it's fair enough, good job, great, you know, great job from all the people involved. But as a fan, as someone watching, it's not so fun. When Formula E, no one could, I couldn't tell you who's going to win. Like, mm-hmm. no one can tell you who's going to win, right? It's like, it's really, really exciting. Um, so, yeah, I think that's what makes Formula E quite fun. And let's look at the Gen 3 cars. How excited are you to see to see what's to come? I'm, I'm always the most excited of all because because the, the the main reason why I'm here in the first place is the tech. I love I love the tech. I love showcasing what electric cars can do, and the Gen Three is another huge step forward. Gen One to Gen Two was a big step. Um, with the battery that was twice as big, a lot more energy, we could go the whole race without stopping, and so on. So yeah, let me to answer the question. Let's go back. Gen One was really to there to prove that we can go racing with electric cars, right? Gen 2 was to say, okay, there's been a huge advance in battery technology. People are very skeptical that electric cars can satisfy their needs in terms of, you know, going shopping, um, the school run, going on holiday, whatever. So the idea was to say, look, if a Formula E car can run flat out for 45 minutes, it's probably good enough for all your, all your daily needs, you know? Gen 3, it's a completely different ballpark. We are now going to really showcase the performance, right? really showcase what an electric car can do. So it's not so much about the range anymore now because we know electric cars can now do two, 300 miles, whatever, or more, so it's not really an issue. We want to showcase the performance. So the Gen 3 car is much lighter, 60 kilograms lighter, which in motorsport terms is huge. Um, uh, 100 kilowatts more, so we go from 250 kilowatts to 350 kilowatts, um, but the car is very light. So the car is smaller, which is very important actually in racing. The car is narrower and shorter than our current car. And uh, to give a comparison, it's significantly smaller than a Formula One car, which is important because it provides really good quality of racing, especially in street circuits where we go to. So the car is much smaller. Uh, the car is only 700 and something kilograms, which is very light. Again, lighter than a Formula One car. I don't compare too much with Formula One, but it's just to show that you know people think electric car is big and heavy. Mm. No, it's not. Yeah. We can make it lighter and and um, and smaller than its petrol counterpart, right? So it's quite exciting. Um, and so we're going to really showcase the performance, uh, a lot more power, 
Um, and for the first time, we will have um, a front powertrain as well. So we have the powertrain on the rear, moving the car forward, but we're also adding a powertrain on the front uh, to increase the regenerative braking, increase the energy recapture. Um, so it's, it's not so easy to understand in, in, in non-technical terms, but to give you an idea, throughout the race, 40% of the energy used by the car throughout the race will have been created by the car itself. That's it's, incredible. It's quite mind-boggling, mind yeah. So 40% of the energy used during that race would have been generated by the car itself through braking. Wow. So we have so much, you know, if you've driven an electric car, uh, you know that when you leave the throttle, mm -hmm. it breaks more than a petrol car mm -hmm. um, because the motor becomes a, a generator, right? Mm -hmm. A bit like a dynamo in an old bicycle, right? So a good, a good electric road car will have, let's say, roughly around 80 or 100 kilowatt of regen max. And you feel a really strong deceleration. Here in the race car, we will have 600 kilowatt of regen. The, the, the braking force of that much regen is kind of the equivalent of slamming the brakes on your road car, wow. like really strong, to a point where in a new car, <laughs> we've actually removed the rear brakes. Oh, wow. There's no brakes anymore. Oh. <laughs> we just use, we only have carbon discs at the front, kind of just in case, and maybe for quality, but really? the vast majority of all the braking and all the deceleration is done purely with the motors. Wow. So that's Which a, is crazy. <laughs> a, a, a term that's become quite common now. And again, this is what I find quite interesting, especially coming from a journalistic background as a motoring journalist. Yeah. You, you find these terms get invented that you never would have heard of. And the, the big one at the moment is one pedal driving, yeah. which yeah. five years ago, if you'd said to me one pedal driving, you would have been like, yeah. check if you were okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. what are you talking about? And of course, but with, with this sort of thing, it makes perfect sense. And I think a lot of us now, we've been lucky enough to drive electric cars where you can experience that. Even thinking as simple as the Mini E is very good for one-pedal driving. And mm. you, you can quite literally drive along, accelerate, and then when you know you need to slow down, like anything else, any other car, you get used to how slowly things work or how the brakes work or how everything else interacts. And yeah, take your foot off the throttle at the right time. You won't need to touch your brake pedal at all. Yeah. So now that's been completely transformed or transferred, I should say, into motorsport, which is yeah. amazing. That adds a completely... Yeah. mind-bending dynamic for me to as a driver to think I'm now going to be competing against a grid full of other drivers it's, it's and yet insane. I'm using one yeah. pedal yeah. and not necessarily going to touch the brake unless of course yeah. something happens where perhaps I've an incident ahead or I need to slow yeah. down very quickly it's just yeah that completely racks my brain I'm I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that you see the future of EVs um something like in Le Mans 24 hours do you really think an electric car could take part in a 24-hour race? Oh, absolutely. It's only a question of when. Le Mans 24 hours, which is an incredible race, is, the, of course, the most difficult challenge from an engineering point of view for an electric car because it's all about range and you know, energy density. Um, so you have to remember the reason why we are addicted to petrol cars is that there is so much energy in the fuel itself. Mm -hmm. The cars are actually very inefficient. As you yes. know, right? Even the best, the best petrol cars you can buy are about 30% efficient. So 70% of the fuel you put in, and your money, by the way, mm. is wasted on friction and heat. An electric car is 90%, a road car, 80 to 90% efficient, and mm. our race car is 95 plus. You waste absolutely no energy you put in. So even the best batteries at the moment, which are really now allowing us to go really fast, really far, and so on, are still nowhere near... Um, nowhere near the amount of energy that you have in, in fuel. So the Le Mans 24 hours is a very tricky challenge, but you know, we'll, we'll come to that. Like back to your one pedal driving and regen, 
you know, road car is 80 kilowatt, roughly we are 600 kilowatt, huge amount of deceleration, which means you recapture every energy that you need to break, you capture that energy mm. and you use it again. And that's, that's really exciting for, for the future of, of, of road cars. But the only thing we're going to develop for the Gen 3 car, so smaller, faster, strong regen, but also the last hurdle, if you want, that we want to, to debunk and prove that it's working, it's fast charging, right? Mm. Yeah. So we've realized that actually we don't need, we don't all need huge electric cars, very heavy with gigantic batteries, just because we go to Scotland twice, uh, twice a year. Yes. It's, like, it's actually, there's, <laughs> so a, there's a sweet spot of, of battery size that you need in your car that is plenty enough for all your daily driving and your weekends and whatever. But the very few times that you drive um, uh, far away, you can rely on, on, on fast charging on, on the roads. And of course, it's not there yet, but the technology is there. It's purely a question of political win and investment. And it's, mm. it's already happening. We can see the signs. Mm. So what we want to demonstrate informally now is fast charging, like how quick that can be. So being motorsport, like everything else, we're going to push the boundary a little bit. So to put things in perspective, at the moment, if you drive an electric car, a Tesla or others, if you're lucky, you charge at 100, 150 kilowatts, which is already pretty good. In 20 minutes, you put a lot of energy in your battery and off you go. That's what I do at the moment. The best cutting edge chargers at the moment um, can charge at 350 um, but it's, very, it's, it's quite rare. I mean, they're coming up, and they'll be, they'll, they'll be more and more common. Um, so a very high rate of charge at 350 kilowatts, um, and only a few cars, like I think the Porsche Taycan, the Audi, and a few others, uh, but more and more cars will be able to mm. charge at that rate, but it's still pretty rare. Informally, we're going to charge, and we're going to do pit stop. Not because we have to, but just because we can. Yeah. We're going to do a pit stop, and we're going to charge at 600 kilowatts. Wow. That's, that's so, so it doesn't mean much to a lot of people. That's a problem mm. because kilowatt is a strange, you know. Yeah. Data, but, but yeah, in order magnitude at home, if you have, a, if you, um, or let's say the plug where you put, you plug your kettle in, mm. that's two or three kilowatts. Yeah. We're gonna, and you don't want to put your fingers in there. You do not we, know. We're gonna be charging at six hundred. Like that's an insane rate. That of, must make you so excited. Power. Yeah. Someone that's you know yeah. been here since yeah. the start. I'll yeah. probably have to be the first one who plugs it in when yeah. we get the get the <laughs> test car. But <laughs> but so again, that's the idea. That's where Formula is so good. Is that it's it's fantastic racing, mm. but also we are genuinely pushing the tech really hard, yeah. and it's fun for all the people here because we are still, even though electric technology is not new, right? It was here here hundred years ago, mm. but we are now really kind of the hockey stick part of the of the growth of the tech like we are really there's so much to do it's like i don't know i don't know i wasn't there i wasn't born right but i suspect yeah. it's like the 50s or 60s in f1 or others where Completely. you had so many innovations yeah. and any yeah. clever engineer could come up with huge innovations right yeah and that's what that's where we are with electric cars you know every generation is a completely game changer compared to the previous one yeah and that's a really fun fun time to be in this industry so so 600 kilowatt means we can do a 30 second pit stop which sounds maybe a bit long like this compared yeah, to a yeah. two-second Formula 1 pit stop, of course, but we're not comparing the same. The electric car is going to come up, we're going to plug it in with a standard road, That's you know, CCS2 connector, the same you see in the chargers here outside the factory, and we're going to jam as that much energy into the battery for 30 seconds and then go again. And do you have any idea of what that 30 seconds might equate to in battery percentage or range? Yeah, well, it's more. In, it's more. It's energy and power, right? Uh -huh. So, so the idea is that I don't. Know, the, I don't say too much because we haven't finalized the sporting regs mm. yet. So, sure. so the FIA is working on it. We have working groups to work on it. But, but it's exciting because the better every year the technology gets better, yeah. which means it opens up possibilities for us. In year one, there's only so much. What there was only so much, you know, race format you could do with a, the small battery we had and the limited power we had. 
Now it's a question of, you know, where do we want to go? Like, the cars are going to become too fast for some city tracks. So what do we do? Do we, do we go to, like, circuits? Do we stay in these tracks? Do we make them wider? Like, it's really exciting. Like, the, so, yeah, to answer your question, Gen 3 is another huge, huge um, um, step yeah. compared to Gen 2, simply because, one, the battery technology, uh, motors, inverters, uh, what we do with the gearboxes, super high efficiency, super high power density, there's big improvements in technology. Um, in the industry anyway, and, and the, the battery energy density especially, you know, there's billions of, of euros, dollars invested every month on battery research mm-hmm. at the moment, so it, it's definitely growing. But being motorsport, we take that technology and we push it that bit further. Yeah. And that's what allows us to do these pretty crazy things. So, yeah, let's see. A lot of power, no brakes. It's going to be interesting. Do you feel like selling <laughs> the brand now, Formula E, is so much easier? Do you feel like the fan base is growing, the excitement around it is growing? Yeah, for sure, for sure. So it grew, it was interesting. COVID was actually quite tricky for us because we were still a young championship and because we race in city centres, it was really hard for us to organise cities in, in races in city centres. So 2020, we didn't do that many races. So we slowed down a bit during the period. But mm-hmm. just prior to COVID, we were on an exponential growth that was just unbelievable, even, even to me, even to the very bullish people in the sport. Um, and then we slowed down during COVID and now we're picking it up again. So yeah, it's becoming so much. I mean... All those people here in this team have been here for you know, four or five years, but one of them at the very beginning, so they kind of take it for granted. Mm-hmm. But you know, I was there at the beginning, and I knew what it's like to have to, you know, every person you want to talk to for me, it was a half an hour discussion trying to convince them. Yeah. Now you can speak to pretty much anyone, they've at least heard of it. Yeah. They don't necessarily yeah. all watch, but they've heard of it, they know what it is. So it makes it a lot easier in terms of uh, all the media partnerships we do on the, on the commercial side with sponsors, it's so much easier. Um, and yeah, that's the whole point, right? Like we are... The success is, you know, create um, a sport that is really fun, provides really exciting racing. That's the thing we should not forget, right? We get excited about the tech, but the racing needs to be fun. If the racing is not exciting, then it's not so good for the fans. So finding that balance, and again, FIA and FEO, that they spend a lot of time trying to get that right, um, is really important. But if you do that, and we are developing technologies that uh, that genuinely end up in road cars um, to, to make them better, it's, it's a great place to be. It's a win-win, it really is. And the battles yeah. on the grid as well are amazing. Um, tell us about the Race Against Climate Change programme. Yeah, so Race Against Climate Change is our sustainability programme, but really it's more than that, it's everything we do. So when we started this team, we are not a car manufacturer, right, for obvious reasons. We're not here to sell cars. We develop the tech and we go racing. But, but the main idea, the main purpose behind this team is to um, use our share of voice yeah, and the more you win, the higher your share of voice, right? Um, to talk about the bigger picture, uh, renewable energy, climate change, and really not so much the doom and gloom stuff, but more the engineering, the excitement and the solutions to, to these, uh, to these uh, problems, which is what really interests me now um, uh, um, so, much, uh, so much more than 20 years ago because I just know more about it. But we, so we are owned by Envision, which is a green tech company, uh, primarily um, a renewable energy company making wind turbines, but now one of the largest battery cell manufacturers in the world, digital solutions. So basically the whole, how do you go to net zero, right? How do we change our world, whether your industry services, manufacturing, we just can't carry on like this. Like we've got to be able to mm. keep doing what we're doing in terms of leading our lives, but not using the resources of the planet. We've got to use renewable energy. So the positioning of our team is to show how exciting electric cars can be and how mobility and transportation in general has got to be electric as soon as possible. And by the way, it's not worse, it's better. Yeah. That's the main, and it sounds obvious, but there's still a lot of 
people to convince and a lot of, of messaging to be done. So all cars being electric is actually better. It's better to drive. It's faster if you like fast cars. It's cleaner. It's cheaper. It's just better in every way. But of course, it's only one part of the puzzle, right? So, so the energy has got to come from renewable energy because it's a no-brainer. It's now cheaper than any other forms of energy. So why not? And it's clean. Uh, so it's really about talking about the bigger picture and get people excited about the future. That's my key thing now. You know, yeah. there's so much, you know, doom and gloom around around the future, and you know, we are we are screwed, and the planet is screwed, and so on. But actually, you speak to, you know, we are lucky to have formed you know friendships with the with the leading climate scientists that come and speak at our race against climate change events and so on. And even though they are very realistic on you know realistic on what we've done to the planet in the last 50 years, but they're also very positive and optimistic on the solutions that we have. And now it's a question of are we implementing or not? Are we doing something about it or not? And they actually really like this motorsport mentality of getting things done. You know, like we don't yep. we don't debate for ages. It's we very set you. we set ourselves <laughs> a target. No, but no, but the industry in general, right? Like like any competitive uh, sport or any industry, any competitive industry, you you set yourself a target and then you go for it. Mm. You don't discuss it for ages. So they like actually the, these climate scientists we talk to really like this approach because I think they wish it was happening at at mm. uh, you know at scale. Um, but that's the idea. So Race Against Climate Change, it, uh, we organize a series of live events. We'll have one in London, just before London Ypres. We have, uh, we've been hosting virtual events um, during COVID with the very million speakers, yeah, from, from climate, uh, big organizations, and, and really trying to use our show of voice to educate, but really not in a patronizing way. We just try to get really interesting people who really know a lot and try to use our platform. I, I sometimes compare, we are like, a, we are a megaphone, right? We don't have all the solutions. But we have a lot of people watching us and listening to what we say. So it's not about me talking all the time. It's about giving the mic to other people mm. that sometimes are not so listened to mm. and make sure that, that we, uh, we learn through the, through the process. And for me, having done that for 10 years now, I'm absolutely convinced that this is the direction to go. It's actually fun. It's exciting. It makes economic sense. There's a lot of growth potential for the yeah. countries that adopt it. It's a bit of a no-brainer. It's a question of getting it done. So, yeah, it feels like this golden age of... A huge, um, almost revolution, really, in the way that we are going to operate our societies from an energy, transportation, um, big, big sectors. Yeah, um, so, yeah, let's see. It's exciting, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's the one thing, before we, we wrap up, I think one of the things that really kind of, you mentioned the doom and gloom side of life at the moment, which is definitely very prominent, isn't it, with things like what's happening in Ukraine and just generally lots of questions now being asked about energy. And I think if there's one positive to come out of what's happening in the world right now, the, the very sad situation of what's happening in the world, it's that we've all kind of had to realise we need to up our game on renewable energies. We cannot rely on natural oils, natural gases. We can't be burning fossil fuels and coals in order to generate electricity because the infrastructure, when it all goes wrong, as, as it is going at the moment, we need to figure it out. So, yeah, yeah I think uh, I, I really do hope that this... If there is one positive that comes out of it all, it's, as you say, it's this now having to go up a gear and accelerate the the need to get the renewable energies in, the, the solar panel, the tidal power, whatever it may be, anything that yeah. takes away from the reliance of natural resources yeah. or a resource that's going to generate a lot of carbon dioxide and burning. Yeah. And I'm convinced it will. I don't know about you, but I do. Yeah. it's only a small sample. You speak to your friends, family, other people. Like I feel like the awareness level is growing a lot. Mm. Yeah. And you know, if you, look at electric, if you look at our industry transportation, I mean... I live in Surrey, I come here, I see, I see electric cars everywhere mm. now, you know, and it's, it's still a small percentage of cars on the road, but it's growing every day, it feels yeah. like there's more on the road, you know, yeah. and, and no one is battling the idea anymore, you know? They, know, they know it's happening. So I feel like we've done a lot of hard work and it's, it's really, 
you know, it's really, um, it's really paying dividends, mm. but we cannot, we, can, we cannot um, release the accelerator. We have to keep going. Sure. Uh, it's all about race. We will get there. Like, there's no question. We'll get there. The world will be fully renewable at some point, mm. but it's a race. So we call it a race against climate change because we have the solutions now. We know how to do it. We have the tech, mm. but it's a race. You've got to go faster. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Uh, that's always the key message we try to uh, transmit. Yeah, I agree. I really do. Actually, one last thing. Yeah. Um, have you been tempted to go back and maybe try to restart the EV Cup? Well, it's a good, good question. Um, I haven't thought It'll be about it. Of you. <laughs> I haven't thought about it at all. But um, no, at this stage, there's no, there's no point really. Like yeah. I think, I think the for what Formula is doing is incredible from a championship perspective. Like we go racing in extraordinary places, and the idea is to take the circus, take the show to many places, and highlight. What's happening in different countries? That's really exciting, right? If we go to uh, North America, South America, Europe, like it's all uh, there's different challenges from an energy point of view, different solutions. Part of Race Against Climate Change, we have several verticals, right? But one of them, we really try to highlight the innovators and the good ideas we can see in local places, and then try to again broadcast that to the rest of the world, you know. And that's really fun to yeah. to, to see what they're yeah. doing. So no, at, at this stage, it's really about. Uh, growing our platform, growing the sport, you know, at the moment there's 400 something million people that watch every every year, a cumulative audience. We need to get that number to a billion as soon as possible. And and that means that, you know, every race we do, every time we talk about these solutions, we are reaching so many people yeah. and it has a real impact, you know. Yeah. Um, well, the reason why it's powerful, it's, it's the... It's where technology and sport meet, right? Mm. And it's powerful because sport means emotion, means people are really engaged, people really listen because they are fans of the drivers, of the teams, of the cars or whatever. So you get much more, people's attention is much bigger and, and they give you a lot more time than if it's a normal kind of business conference or whatever. So, so if we keep doing that, keep growing that platform, then we'll reach a really significant number of people yeah. and we'll make a difference. That's, mm. that's the idea. Yeah. Well, I hear that. Although, if there was ever the opportunity to see a BMW <laughs> i4 racing against a Tesla, racing against a Nissan Leaf, racing against an Audi e-tron, I'd really enjoy that. So if there is anyone that's listening at home thinking, I've got far more money than I know what to do with, Hi. and I think I would like to make some sort of e-touring car championship, personally, if I'm the only person that attends, I think that would be great. You know, it's a thing, but by the way, there's going to be, um, <clears throat> there's gonna be uh, for sure, a ladder of electric motorsport that's going to emerge. Yeah. It's, yeah. I think it's going to happen sooner than we think, because... Again, not here to replace the, the, the sure. petrol petrol yarky. It's only, it's only gone there for a long time. And Formula One at the pinnacle is an extraordinary entertainment platform and mm. actually doing super well these days. Mm. Even though you can argue all day whether and debate all day whether the technology is relevant or not, but the sport is actually really exciting. So that that will continue for, for a fair while. Um, but there is for sure a need for now um, a ladder of electric motorsport from karting, junior categories, all the way to, to Formula E. The Formula E cars are going to become so fast, so rapidly, we are going to need to train young drivers. Um, and then, that's so that's, that, that's yeah. going to happen very, very, very quickly, for sure. Uh, you have to put it in place in the right way, um, but that will happen. And I think it will also have the benefit that it could actually be cheaper, uh, much cheaper than petrol racing, because if you're not changing your parts all the time, ah, as we know, an electric, course, an electric yeah. car needs pretty yeah. much no maintenance. To open more doors to more people, basically, Absolute, a new generation. Absolutely. So we could we could actually have a, create a more diverse sport, you know, looking at the small world that is motorsport. Yeah. I think electric motorsport can really have has a big opportunity to um, to work on diversity right. and, and just open the sport to many more people because we could create, a, I mean, I haven't thought about it too much, but we could create a relatively cheap, but still very fast, uh, you know, um, uh, junior single-seater that's electric 
And once you've built it, if you don't crash it, you keep it for five years and you don't need to do the thing to yeah. the car, you know? Like the, that the beauty of the motor is that you have five moving parts in the whole car, right? Like yeah. it needs yeah. very little maintenance. Uh, if you don't push the battery too hard, it will, it will last many years. And you could end up with a very, very affordable wow. junior category, way more than, you know, Formula 2 or Formula 3. Mm-hmm. So that could be interesting. That'd be yeah. really exciting. I think, I think it will happen. It will happen yeah. at some point soon, yeah. Amazing. Oh. You heard it here first. Yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Savannah, thank you so much. Um, we've got some more conversations to have whilst we're here today. But thank you so much for inviting us here to your lovely facility. And, uh, yeah, we look forward to following more of the season and perhaps catching up uh, again at some other events in the future. For sure. You're always welcome here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. Hey guys, I'm Nick Cassidy and I am, what am I? A race car driver. Welcome to our next segment of this special Envision Racing podcast here at Silverstone. And our next guest, as you've just heard, is Nick Cassidy, one of the very fortunate guys that gets to drive these amazing cars. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. No, pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Now, Rachel, I'm pretty much going to hand you the reins for this one because you're the one with the facts and figures, you're the one with the expert knowledge, and I'm just going to chip in with a bit of car geekery as and where I can. So, um, As per usual with your geekery. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I'm just going to lean back and relax. Yeah, have a little holiday. Yeah. Um, Nick, hi, welcome. Um, the first thing I wanted to ask you, um, you started karting, I believe, at six, but winning at eight like that's probably I would say you, yeah I said that like it's new to you it's like wow, did I that's pretty good yeah it feels like that it's a while ago now yeah but, but it is um and you're all because your dad was a club racer is that correct yeah yeah my parents uh were both kind of involved in in casual kind of motorsport or uh in New Zealand my, on my mum's side as well and my, my dad's been uh a massive car geek and and fans so it was quite easy to get involved in, in racing when I was young and so from that um your say eight winning championships you then um went on and you've got a speed sport uh, scholarship into formula first um winning you know on your on your debut how did you go from you know being I guess professional at that at that stage to then Japan that's quite a jump yeah it's, it's quite different and and I didn't um I didn't probably f- foresee that. Like, no. it's, you know, I always had uh, the, the dream of being a professional driver, but when you're young, it's easy to have a dream and, and not really, mm. oh, it's also easy to have no idea how that's going to happen, right? Mm. And uh, you go through different years and, and different goals and, and you want to race this, want to race that. Um, I was quite lucky to get a break to go to Europe when I was 16, 17, which uh, for me at the time was a, a big move. And um, I struggled, to be honest, when I first came to Europe. I did two or three years where I was uh, having some kind of good moments that kept me going, but mm. I was never really doing full championships. I, I wasn't um, good enough consistently enough. And then I went through, I think, a run of, of six months where I, I got some good support. I was in a good team. Um, and I was able to have a, a good race uh, at Macau in Formula 3 and that kind of really set me up for, for going to Japan with Toyota for the following year for Formula 3. Does that mean you left school at uh, 16? I'm intelligent, I promise you. Yeah, I left school at 15, <laughs> it's fine. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, so what, that must have been quite a big thing then to leave school at that age. What's your friends say to that or do they just expect it because you were always the, the driver, the racer? 
Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think everyone expected it except uh, except my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but but also, I mean, I grew up with uh, some close friends back home who were also basically my closest competitors growing up racing and, and um, we've been best mates since six, seven years old and they kind of moved to Europe around a similar time and okay. so it was, uh, you know, a bit of a coincidence. We're never racing against each other um, actually now until Formula E in, in Europe but we've been living close and, um, yeah, it kind of made the jump almost normal. Yeah, that makes sense. So when you got the opportunity to race, in Japan, were you? I mean, that's a, a, a huge different like culture. Like everything about that is quite crazy. If you're not, you know, used to living out there, was it an easy decision to to make? Yeah, it was. Um, I wouldn't say an easy decision, but I I knew a lot about Japanese Formula Three actually, and and Japanese motorsport from simulator games. Oh really? All the okay. uh, yeah, all the the top cars and like the the best tracks I always thought were in Japan. And so they were the most fun on the simulator. And at the same time, the, the team that I was driving for in Japan, um, Tom's, they are basically the most kind of known or most, um, you have a long history of bringing European Mm. drivers to Japan and and having success with European drivers. Mm. And so I knew a lot about that team and drivers who had been with them and, and the list of drivers was pretty damn cool and so yeah. I found it pretty special to even be talking to them and have that opportunity um but yeah part of the deal was having to live uh, in Gotemba which is around an hour out of Tokyo um near the factory and um yeah it was just part of it Amazing. I guess that's because so I was gonna say like because you're used to maybe traveling and living this kind of I was gonna say like gypsy existence but it probably wasn't. Not saying yeah. you are. No, like it, it almost felt like that because I was I was so determined when I was younger. I mean, I hope I still am. But um, <laughs> yeah, I would do absolutely anything yeah. or go anywhere because I wanted to race, right? And so I saw that as a massive opportunity and, and nothing else really mattered. Like, oh, I got to go there. I go, I go there. And so okay. it, was, uh, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Would you say you're still like that now? Wherever um, the racing takes you or has... Yeah, I think I'm very career-driven. Um goals are probably a little bit different and I'm quite I'm very very fortunate with where I am right now so I'm mm. quite quite settled um but I'm not complacent like I, I still want more right yeah so but, when you went on and won you did well 2017 Super GT 2019 Super Formula um how how did from Japan to then endurance racing and you know what was that like for you your first try with endurance racing did you enjoy it um, yeah, I mean, that's, it doesn't really sound like I enjoy it when I start the answer like that. Yeah, but. I know. Right? <laughs> God, what happened? No, but no, no, I, I do enjoy it. But f- yeah, for me, it was, um, it was looking at kind of the bigger picture where, okay, um, Japan had been really successful for me. Uh, I'd enjoyed my time there, uh, um, on track and off track. Um, and then I was kind of thinking, okay, what's next in my career? What's my next goal? What do I need to have under my belt to to achieve that and part of that was taking off some big races you know I did mm-hmm. Daytona 24 Spa 24 and it was more just to make myself more complete and more attractive as a as a driver yeah yeah and then how did the Formula E so so yeah I 
like I said, I went through these years in Japan. I was first, second, 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 first, and I was kind of thinking, it's it's amazing. It's going really well. Um, I felt in an amazing place in my in my career and my life. But I thought, well, if I ever want to make the move back to Europe, um, it's kind of got to be now because where I was at in Japan, I was kind of sounds really bad to say this, but running out of things to achieve in a way I felt like I was just mm. repeating things year on year. And I probably could be doing that until I'm 40 and, and having an amazing long career there, but I couldn't see much changing. And so I wanted to just challenge myself. I wanted to, to um, go to something new, kind of put myself in a different phase of my career, knowing that I probably could go back to Japan when I, when I want to. And so yeah. the time become right looking at Formula E, and how it was um, at that stage to, to make that move. I guess Formula E came as a bit of a surprise to everyone, didn't it, as a championship? Because it's not one that, like F1, it's been historic and it's been one that people can aspire to. I'd be interested to learn, before we jump into that section with regards to signing up as a Formula E driver or perhaps applying to be a Formula E driver, thinking back to the early part of your career, because it sounds like there was quite a lot going on with big decisions like moving countries and racing in different territories. Can you remember what your vision was as a, as a very young driver, as somebody that started to do very well, perhaps at that point we thought, oh, actually, I might be able to make a career of this, or even better, somebody else tapping on the shoulder and going, you're going to make a career of this. Can you remember the differences, the key differences with your vision as to where your motorsport career was going to take you as an ambition then versus how it might have changed as the years went on? Yes, it's really insane to think because... Um... You know, I, I come from a family that's that's really supportive. They're, they're behind me 100%, and it's super, super amazing. Um, but we didn't really have we didn't have the financial background to to do what we wanted or to do to do anything. And so, I never actually even saw racing in Europe possible. I never even saw it as as something, you know, that that was going to happen. So. It was, even though I wanted to be a professional driver and I've had a massive passion for Formula One growing up and, and these different things, um, just making a step to Europe was a huge thing at the time. And then the goal was not even, okay, Formula One, it was, oh, can we do a season of racing in Europe? And um, it's amazing now to think, okay, that was the mindset back then mm. and, and how that kind of changed it pretty quickly. Yeah. It's funny in life, nothing's ever enough, you know. And, yeah. Um, yeah, that's so true. But, but but I think that's that's a bad that's a bad thing because I think you've got to kind of reel that in and you've got to you got to be super stoked with, with whatever you have and, and never lose what, what you love, you know. Mm -hmm. It is basic human nature, isn't it? The grass yeah. is always greener. You always think, 100%. well, if I've achieved this, maybe I could achieve that. And did the vision change as time went on? Like when you got that first opportunity to race in Europe and again perhaps somebody else tapping you on the shoulder going no you're, you're here for a season like this is this is it did you then find that your aspirations developed as well as your career oh 100 percent um and I think they, they they still are they still were but I think I've become more and more appreciative of, of what I have and, and I look mm. back at that a lot and I'm I'm um yeah super grateful for the opportunities that I've had because coming from where I came from and where I am now it's it's been a really cool journey of course I want to continue and I still have my goals and I'm still still driven but I'm I'm also aware of, of um, the chances I've had I've been pretty lucky amazing so yeah let's dive back into Formula E so that we were talking actually Rachel and I were talking before um, 
we hit record on this segment of the of, of the podcast, which was talking about the those, those early days of, of Formula E and things like trying to convince sponsors to come on board and and you know put their money into this new motorsport that perhaps wasn't quite getting the best press. You know, the hardcore motorsport fans were kind of like, mm, come on, what? You know, where's the engine? Where's the V10 noise? Where's the V12 noise? <laughs> what was it like as a driver getting phone calls from people saying, right, we've got this new this this new championship opening up it's uh, electric cars only they don't resemble or look like any other cars that we drive on the road uh, are you up for it what what do you remember your emotion being at that time yeah it's um it's a s- strange one for me because i was still going through kind of that awkward phase of my career in europe trying to chase drives and trying to you know do championships over here when formula e was starting and so i was not really in that um, circle, I guess it wasn't something that I was looking looking to do, um, or that I was able to do because I didn't have a career behind me. And I think at the start, um, the championship had a lot of kind of established names, and that was really key in my opinion for the championship mm. because it means people took it seriously. People had more awareness of it with the, you know guys out of Formula One or or other other series. Um, and then over time. On top of having you know a top lineup of drivers that I believe, to be honest, has only ever got really stronger. Um, you also had all the manufacturers coming in, and that was kind of the point where mm. you, you really take notice of mm. okay, this this series is, is really going places, yeah. and um, you know the events were growing. Uh, all of a sudden, you've got friends who have had um, the similar age having a good run in their careers they're looking to go to a formula e they've made that step so they're in the championship and you speak to them hey what's going on there how is it and um yeah the, the feedback was getting better and better and, and that's kind of ultimately what led me to making the jump where yeah outside of f1 it, i think it is probably the most competitive racing series in the world mm. in, in terms of a lineup of, of drivers and so um yeah that's what you want to put yourself up against right yeah totally agree how do you there's been a lot in the press, I guess, recently about drivers. Um, I know Landon Norris was mentioning about mental health. How, and people do say, like, drivers are built slightly differently, like sports people are built uh, slightly differently. But how do you deal with, you know, the mental health side of things if you win a race, lose a race, if you miss out on a drive, if you're not, you know, with your friends, if you're travelling all the time? How do you deal with that? Or um, are you completely I think fine? we're... I wouldn't say we were completely fine. We're all we're all human. We all have ups and downs. Mm. Um, yeah, I probably don't speak about it honestly, openly enough. Uh, probably is what I should. But you know, it's so easy to go through periods of your career where everything's working and mm. everything's nice and you're super happy. But then you go through periods, and to be honest, I'm going through one at the moment. The last six months, results wise and life wise, haven't been amazing compared to probably the 24 months before that but you just got to keep at it and yeah. it's it's not always easy but it's why I talk about it as well recently I'm I understand the opportunities I've been given and how lucky I am because on the bad days you've got to you've got to still understand that yeah. you still got to realize that and hang on things might not be perfect today but they're pretty bloody good so yeah, yeah, yeah. so it passes yeah. I think whether yeah. you've yeah those like down moments do pass and then you get you know back on top again you get winning you get you know the professional the private life um working so formally at the moment what 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 are your goals now and how have they changed and 
are you even looking at things I don't know like behind the scenes or do you want to stay racing what, what's your um yeah I'm I'm in a in a bit of a, a change of, of mindset I would say where um I'm in year two of Formula E uh, last year it was pretty competitive for me probably better than I expected um not championship wise but in terms of speed and performance a few races um and I went through a run last year which was really really good and so in the off season I I had big expectations for this year and the first couple of races didn't really work out Hi my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all inclusive getaway for families they have Club Med Punta Cana their flagship family resort and many other options in Mexico the Caribbean and around the world Club Med are the pioneers of the all inclusive concept which is the best way to vacation great for families groups or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports delicious food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And um, I think as a, as a team, we've got quite a strong car, but um, internally we've gone through a lot of changes and then this is the last year of this generation car. And so at the same time, you know, now we're starting testing the new generation car, which uh, you know, has been announced. We're, we're working with Jaguar next year, which is, is pretty exciting. Um, Formula E have a, a fairly big change coming. And so at the same time, on my side of the garage, I've had a fairly big engineering shift and, and staffing structure as well. And so now I've, we've got seven races left in this year where we have massive opportunity to do some good results and do some good races, but it's almost for me just building the structure around me in a, in a good way and preparing for next year so we can really hit the year running. And how do you feel about the Gen 3 cars? Um, yeah, everything looks pretty exciting at the moment. I mean, um, from a performance and technology point of view, it's uh, pretty crazy, so mm. it'll be interesting to see how it looks. Yeah, yeah. I think um, the Formula E future looks pretty exciting. looks like it's going to be around for quite a while do you see more electric championships starting up and um that's an interesting one obviously there's the the electric um touring cars the etcr at the moment that i'm got a couple of friends doing that and they're doing some different formats and that's exciting to watch but um yeah it's uh it's it's hard i think because formula e is is um really hit the nail on the head in terms of racing in city centres and, and having these events. Whereas I think if you go to normal racing tracks with electric cars, it's for me it doesn't mm. have the same appeal right now. I mean, being in the city centres and amongst the people is, is really key. Yeah. And so um, I I hope that the focus stays on that and, and instead of trying to make more championships, rather, rather try grow uh, what in my opinion is a, a, really, uh, a really good one that we have now. What's it like racing in like New York and you know 
these incredible places. It's it's cool, right? It's it's, it's amazing. It's yeah. awesome. I mean, um, we need to spread the events out a little bit more so we spend some time at these places. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Three weekends in New York, please. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, exactly. No, no, but it's 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 epic, right? I mean, uh, it's as as a job, it, it's it's really incredible. Yeah, you get to travel and and what is it like when you are traveling with all your friends who are also like in the industry, so drivers and mechanics? Is it? Do you feel like you're like one big kind of family or you know? And how are you? If you're competitive on the grid, how do you kind of switch off and then be friends with them again? Oh no, no, we're all really serious. We don't talk to each other. And we're, <laughs> we we go we yeah. go to the track. We go to bed at nine p, nine p.m. I I study all my notes and I, and I wake up at seven. Yeah, I go for a fresh. run. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are you want me to keep going? <laughs> yeah, I believe you. Thousands win, yeah. but we believe you. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, it's it's fun. I mean, you got to keep that competitive edge. We're all we're all racers and we all want to win. Mm. It's um. It's funny as well. We've gone through some moments. We we joke about certain things, and then you go out on track, and you're like, okay, it's not, it's not quite like that. So, yeah, yeah it's something we're all aware of. And what I like about Formula E, or one thing that I like about Formula E, is the group of guys that we have in it um, on track is is super fierce. But off track, we we all know how to have, how to have a good time. Yeah, that's so good. And to switch off, I suppose. Do you find also that? With especially those that have been mates for a long time, like many many years, even if you are competing and you see them suddenly do something really good, or they, yeah, they get a great race result, is there a little bit inside of you that, although you're a competitor, you're kind of like, oh, I'm quite, I'm actually quite chuffed that you've done that, or uh, yeah, I mean, especially the guys you've grown up with, it's cool to see. Um, sometimes if they've had a good day, like you, you take a sit back and you go. Yeah. Hey mate, well done. Yeah, and uh, yeah. By the way, dinner's on you. So. Yeah, okay. yeah. I was, yeah, was going to say, cause yeah, yeah. I'd be a little bit bitter. I think, <laughs> if I could see someone like doing, you know, win a race, I'd be a bit like, yeah, no, don't like that. I'd like to ask a couple of questions just about the the dynamic of driving a Formula E car. So when we spoke to Sylvain earlier on, he was explaining about. Um, it, wait, in fact, he mentioned something I had no knowledge on, which was that forty percent of the power that's given to the car is actually generated from regen, so from braking and that just completely blows my mind so i'd like to kind of unpick that a little bit and find out how long it took to transition from let's say three pedal manual gearbox car to two pedal paddle shift car to then effectively being able to drive with just one pedal yeah how long did that take you to get used to and and are there times where it's still like this is strange oh 100 there's still still times but um it's it's funny as as a racer you get in the car you want to go as fast as you can and you brake you turn you go um, which is what we do in qualifying Formula E it's not mm. it's not that different you know you got a huge amount of torque you got except for the fact you've got no uh, no no sound from an engine mm-hmm. it's um it's kind of normal um, whereas the race side and when you've got the regen and and you're you're trying to learn and understand the most efficient way to drive a, a racing track that's um that's what you know it's, it's hard to get your head around and, and i think separates uh, the best from the nearly best yeah get it out of you slowly yeah. but surely are there any what would you say is the most comparable motorsport to Formula E if that is even a question that can be answered what what would you say is the 
for stuff that you've driven, the closest comparison from car to car? Was wow, that's, that's really difficult to... I've never actually even thought about that. Um, yeah, that's, that's a bit difficult to say. It's definitely got that single-seater feel, and yeah. it obviously is a single-seater, single but then um, you don't have the downforce and you don't have the tyre grip. You know, we, we run on the same tyre in, in any condition, which in, yeah. in motorsport is almost unheard of. And so the way that tyre performs in different conditions varies a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, to, to be able to compare that to something else I've done, it's, it's almost like a little bit of that, a little bit of that, a little bit of that, all in one, which makes it extremely unique. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah, that's a fair answer. Sorry, I can't give you something no, that's fine. a bit <laughs> that's more defined, fine. but yeah. It makes perfect sense, because to me, it's alien spaceship versus driving a car. You know, I yeah. think of F1, and you know, I, I hear a lot of F1 drivers give the anecdote of it's not really driving anymore, it's almost flying, because you're so dependent on the aerodynamics. Yeah. And I guess with Formula E, again, it's so different to driving a normal car, because again, you're not driving as you would do, trying to conserve fuel in the way that you would conserve fuel, you're trying to conserve and regenerate electricity. So again, your your brain is having to do completely different things in comparison to what you'd be doing if you were driving a Le Mans car or just an old GT car, for example. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it helps me a lot these days, even even driving here to the, to the workshop, because mm. it's the price of fuel these days. Yeah, yeah it's pretty <laughs> disgusting, yeah, exactly. isn't it? It's criminal. <laughs> Absolutely criminal. <laughs> Um, I'm glad you said that, actually, because I'd like to unpick, again, with regard to, the, obviously, the championship that you're racing in now, everything's electric, and the future is obviously moving forward to really exciting, fast charging, and the new iteration of cars that's coming in. What is your go-to as a road car? Are you massively into electric cars on the road as you are on the track, or are you still a bit more fond of the good old-fashioned internal combustion? Um, I'm, I'm... Look, politically, I should be saying that, you know, I'm electric cars. And it is true to an extent. Like, I, I look at, um, say, even a Tesla or a Taycan or something right now, and I think they're seriously impressive. They're seriously yeah. cool cars. Um, I don't own one myself, but I really see that the attraction for that. So I'm kind of, I wouldn't say um, on the fence, but my dream car is not an internal combustion engine car anymore like it probably once once was mm-hmm. because i think everything's everything's changing everything's moving on yeah so um it's pretty pretty difficult to probably answer that right now fair enough yeah yeah it's not even yeah i mean like i said i could be really political yeah. but no that's mm. that's just really where my head's at yeah. yeah that's really good what was it like racing them on um yeah it's super cool super cool uh been trying to do this event for Three years, and really? um, I think everyone wants to do it for probably longer than that. Yeah. Than that, you you grow up looking at Le Mans; it's yeah. one of those iconic things. But um, yeah, I've had a a contract the last three years where it's COVID or it's a clash or whatever, and uh, it's not it's not an easy one to pull off. So I'm really stoked I could get that 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 box ticked this year, and um, and yeah, do the event. Did it live up to? It did. It surprised me. It surprised me. I mean, when I I came uh, into kind of the venue for the first time, I was amazed with how big everything is. Yeah. And, and um, even a week before you arrive for the test day, there's already the campsites being set up and it's already busy. Yeah. It's a fair bit going on. Um, 
it's already difficult to get in without your your pass. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so yeah, you know, it's you know, it's one of those yeah those iconic events. And then um, when it comes closer and closer to, to race day, you really feel kind of a yeah. a buzz everywhere you walk, which is is refreshing to be honest. Um, because so many motorsport events, you have days or times during the day where it's chill or there's nothing going on. Whereas yeah. that doesn't really exist at Le Mans. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. Like, it was really weird not being there this year, but I absolutely love it. And I've done it before. The same thing when you stayed in... We stayed in... The first year, we stayed in the campsite. Okay, and yes, that was, yes. that was all right. I was all right for the first few days. <laughs> I'm like, I could do this camping thing. And then literally the day before, there's two stories. One, I don't know if I can share, but um, <laughs> with like a tradition that goes on queuing up outside the campsite people stand on the side i really wasn't off. sure where you're leading with that no, no it's okay. nothing kind of okay. yeah um yeah there's a tradition people stand leading up to the campsite with pints of you know urine <laughs> i don't know the, the oh, right okay yeah. that's not this, is, and, this is taking yeah, more okay. than i can yeah. yeah. imagine yeah. yeah so um i got told about this tradition when we were in a golf cart and so cars okay. in front of us were driving in and people were throwing Pints fist, and I was like, "We're at a we're at a golf cart. This is ridiculous. Like, you might as well just put it on me now because like it's gonna get me." And that was that story. Um, the, the... <laughs> I <laughs> noted that. Yeah, I'm, uh, <laughs> you guys are gobsmacked as me. Yeah, yeah well, that, someone told me that was tradition. Okay, we didn't stay at the campsite after that, so I have no idea if that's still tradition or just German. I've been in and around Le Mans for about <laughs> 15 years and I've never heard of that tradition. Yeah. Well, I believe yeah. that it was because it's not like something happens yeah, every yes. day. Um, but then Someone the sec- spun you a good yarn. <laughs> <up>. <laughs> and I believe it. But yeah, but also it was the amount of people, like the campsite was like full literally mm. the day before the race. Both your minds are now thinking about that story, aren't they? Yeah. I've lost you both in the gutter yeah. of piss so yeah <laughs> thank you for the interjection though. well that is nice. the one well that's not like obviously but yeah so but yeah all the, the business basically is where i was going yeah Le Mans is a is a spectacle that is a true festival of an mm. event isn't it in the yep. in the scale of what it is so for anyone that's listening that was unaware of what you were driving give us a run through what was what was your car at Le Mans so i was running a ferrari 488 in gtem which mm-hmm. um is you know there's a four classes at, at Le Mans and uh, it's class four right there's no no beating around the bush mm. it's um, looking in your mirror flat out for, yeah. for 24 hours right but uh, really really cool really cool experience um, I was super lucky with the guys that I was driving with that uh, the week was a lot of fun mm. they did a, a really solid job as well and and I drove a lot man like mm. I did did 11 hours in a race and wow. I've never been in a racing car so much so it's was, it was just a pretty cool experience and you say it was the week before you arrived for practice was that then the first time you'd ever driven the circuit de la Sarthe? yeah and I've been crazy busy so I haven't done any prep I haven't done any sim wow but I, I loved it like you just old school rocking yeah, I was gonna say yeah, 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 school, just yeah, for yeah. rocking yeah. I love the I loved love love the old stories of like the 1950s and 60s Le Mans cars that we'd often get the cars would get prepped somewhere in West London. Then some team mechanic would physically drive the yeah. car from <laughs> Slough, drive it across yeah. to Le Mans. The driver yeah. would fly in, having never even been to Le Mans before, get in the car and then just, just go out go and for it. Yeah, that's awesome. Just think, yeah, yeah. Like, that sort of thing doesn't happen anymore. Balls. But it kind of does, because there you go. You rocked up. Yeah. yeah. Had a go. Really professional of me. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Very proud. Yeah. Very proud. No, but I, I, no, like I say, I mean, it was refreshing because that's how it used to be. And even as a, 
in your junior career, you know, you, that's how it would be. You rock up to the track, you, yeah. you get on with it. Um, and it was it was nice. There was um, the Jakarta Formula E race the weekend before. So we mm. did the race and straight out we flew, uh, you know, by wherever we were, Istanbul, I think, to, to Paris, jumped in a minivan together and got to the track halfway through the test day, so straight wow. out the minivan and so cool. into the race car and yeah. feeling like, where am I? Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> what day is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, since then, have you stepped back into a Formula E car, even for just any testing? Yeah, then, uh, so did Le Mans that week, um, Sunday night, travelled back to UK, and then I did the first Gen 3 Formula E test, which, wow. is, which is cool. Okay, so a brand new car. Brand new so you've car. Done, so just to get the scale of the times here. so tired. You've, done, <laughs> you've got out of a Formula E race. Yeah. You've gone straight to Le Mans. You've got straight into a car. I'm guessing you know, the, the challenge cars are, are quite rewarding, aren't they, to drive? They're not, uh, it's not like getting into a... You know, a P2 or whatever. Exactly, is that, yeah. yeah exactly. It's, it's a, it's no, a no, car. For so, sure. Um, but then getting straight out of that and then straight into a car that's brand new to you, that's going to be potentially yeah. your your season next year what was you know your brain must have just been upside down at this point all the traveling all the different cars the pressure the stresses the new experiences and now it's like oh and and, and now you can learn this as well exactly and then uh and then i went into a filming day the day after <laughs> in the morning after we fl- flew to imola for the dtm race weekend wow did that and then i flew back from imola and we had the second test of gen 3 and now I'm here with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now it's Christmas. Yeah. It's my day off. Yeah. yeah. You guys with talk sport today. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's what I wanted today. We're here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How do you recover though? Like, or do you yeah. not? Do you just have to just keep on going, keep on going? Yeah, I mean, um, keep on going a little bit, uh, but just managing sleep and and knowing your schedule and and um, yeah, looking after yourself, I guess. Yeah. Which, I don't do that good a job of it. If that's on paper what you should do, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, technically. Yeah, I mean, I I love it. Like, I love being organized. I love being busy. um, Mm -hmm. And it's it's my dream job. You know, I want to be in a racing car. And Mm -hmm. so uh, to be driving so much, I think, makes me better. I'm experiencing more. I can take things from one team to another, not in terms of, um, say, the little secrets of individual teams or manufacturers, but more... uh, Okay, what do they focus on for mm. performance, and how can we apply that here? And so, it's been uh, it's been quite fruitful. Yeah, and do you still love it? Because one thing, doing something when you're young, it's a hobby, and you do it because you love it. When it becomes a job, you kind of lose that love for it. Do you still have the same passion for for this job? Um, yes, I shouldn't start that with an arm. No, but not no, with no, an arm. No. It's fine. Yes, no, no, com- <laughs> completely, and uh, and. You know, last year, I mean, I was just doing Formula E and that was not a bad thing, but I, I miss being busy. That's yeah. in Japan, I was doing two championships. We had a lot of testing and I was driving all the time. And uh, I've, I've gone out there this year trying to drive in more championships for that reason. Yeah. Just to, you know, it's, a, it's your love, right? Yeah, no, I totally agree. Totally agree. And what does the future look like? Do you see, do you see many more seasons within Formula E? Do you want to see how this championship grows or? hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's, I'm definitely working towards the future. Even, you know, I sh- shouldn't be riding off this season. I'm definitely not. Each race is still important to us, but there's a, a big eye on the future. Um, it's where I, I want to be. And uh, ultimately I, w- I want to be successful here. So mm. um, it's, it's my full focus at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And just to pick up on, because 
you mentioned earlier about you know, Rachel's very valid question about the kind of the mental health side of the stresses and strains that come with winning and losing you know some real roller coasters of emotion there you know, one week it can be the best job in the world the next week you can be thinking oh, why why isn't it as good as the week before do you sometimes feel like as a professional athlete that sometimes it's it's a bit harder to kind of share that struggle with people in the fear that perhaps people just don't get it like people look at you and go yeah but you're a racing driver like get over it yeah 100 percent. i mean my my parents for one like really? after a bad day or you know you're right dad oh you know this happened or that mm. he's like dude get on with it you know mm. he's like what are you doing yeah so which is in a way he's got a point but at the same time it's like well okay how do you keep yourself in this mindset why is that happening and um yeah you use obviously different skills different techniques and then it's a question okay well if i'm going through this why should i be sharing it mm. or who, who who's even interested in that but it's becoming more and more obvious obvious that there's a valid reason to probably be sharing that and a lot of people yeah. are going through that mm. so yeah. They're definitely aware of that side of it, yeah. Yeah, that's good. And I think, yeah, the world is definitely rapidly improving on that front because I yeah. think we all think of it, even just thinking about friends and family, if you had a friend that might seem like they've got the best job in the world, but they come down and say to you, do you know what, today I'm not having much of a good day. Chances are, because that's your friend, you're going to want to know why and you're mm. going to want to at least, at the very least, listen. And I think that can sometimes be hard to remember, can't it? Especially in a world where you feel like often the spotlight is on you. And you should almost feel lucky for every opportunity you've got. We're still humans. You know, there's sure. still the sure. element that we can all have a really hard time. And there shouldn't, be F N there shouldn't ever be anything wrong with the fact that sometimes you do feel like you just need to have a bad day and share that. And I guess yeah, for people like your dad, I think that's, that's going to be quite a common one. I'm sure there'll be loads of guys and girls listening mm. in all aspects of career and life. And as far as our parents are all concerned, God, life is so easy now compared yeah. to how it yeah, used to be. I, I, and I do, and I, do yeah. I do exaggerate that. Like, you know, that's just probably <laughs> yeah. a little yeah. bit over the top. But, yeah. but no, no, 100%. 100%. And, yeah, um, yeah like, like you say, it's, it's clear that a lot of people, you know, go, go through the same things. We are, we're all human. We, we sometimes wonder who, who cares. But if, if there are ways to talk about it or, or things to, to do, it, it's, um, it can, can be nice, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And do you often seek solstice in other drivers? Is there, a, is there a nice bit of, again, leaving the kind of competitive side? Yep. Do you often kind of have these conversations with each other or is it something that's kind of still a bit like... I think you're close friends. You, yeah. you open up to a lot. You say, oh man, you know, this is going on at the moment. This is going on. And you, you learn, um, especially your friends, it's, it becomes, I wouldn't say obvious, but you know something's up. Mm. And it's, yeah. it's, also, it's also cool to ask them, hey man, are, are you all right? Are mm. you what what's up mm. yeah and, uh, yeah it's true yeah. good uh, it's a good way to live life is uh, yeah with that mindset it's gut instinct is a, is a powerful thing sometimes isn't it and especially with people mm. that you work with or travel with or friends that you've known for a long time you can you can often tell there's a little sign somewhere that something true. might not it's, be quite it's right. important to ask right exactly yeah. that yeah. Yeah. that's the most important yeah. thing it's yeah. it's the best thing you can do in the world is just check in. Mm. And True. if it's nothing, it's nothing. And if it's something that requires a chat, then it requires a chat. And then you're all on the way to healing. Mm. Perfect. Well, um, Nick, thank you so much for mm. giving us a bit of your time here. It sounds like there's a lot to unpick, a lot to unfold for your season moving forward still. And there's going to be a long and exciting career for us to follow with you in as well. Thank you. It's um, been good fun catching up. Yeah. yeah. Likewise. Thanks very much. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. Hi, I'm Alice Powell, Sim and Development Driver for Envision Racing. Hello, welcome to the next segment of this 
Envision podcast special. And highlights of this are going to be making their way onto our radio show as well. We'll talk more about that towards the end of this episode. Uh, but as you've just heard, our next guest is Alice Powell. Thank you for joining us, Alice, in no this worries. glitzy, glamorous lobby <laughs> surrounded by trophies and, and things. You did say before we hit record, none of the trophies were yours, so we're going to ignore them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they're team trophies, so, you know, and I work for the team. So. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, we'll let them Team off. player. What a yeah, team player. I'll be a team player. <laughs> <laughs> now, there, I'm, I'm a bit like I did in our last conversation with Nick. I'm going to leave all of the kind of motorsport technicalities to Rachel because she's our motorsport guru and I'm very much just the, the car nerd that You're the happens to sit here and press <laughs> some buttons. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm looking through at your racing career, driving career, development career so far, and it just goes on and on and on and on and on. It scrolls. It's, it's I'm trying to say incredible. that I'm old. Is that what you're no, trying to say? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. But there are some amazing things. <laughs> there are some amazing things that jump out. Um, Formula Renault, GP3, Formula 3, Formula 1. We, we must make sure we talk about that briefly as well. Of course, Formula E, which is the main reason we're here. Yeah. But the primary role for yourself at the moment is in the W Series as well, isn't it? Yes. So, yeah. It's a busy year. Yeah. So I'd like to just start with a general and potentially impossible question to answer, but I always like trying to unpick people's beginnings of this journey into this mad world, be it in car design or motoring journalism or racing driving. Where did this all start for you and why? So I don't come from a family that, you know, that someone's raced, someone works in the sports. Um, they were fans of the sport, and that, that's as far as that went. So my parents didn't have too much of an interest. Uh, they would watch races occasionally. My grandfather, he would go to some of the Formula 1 races. You know, he was a petrol head. He, liked, he worked in the RAF, so he sort of loved probably more the geeky sort of technical side of, of racing. So my parents, you know, stuck me in front of a TV, and when racing was on, I'd either stop crying stop whining oh, wow. stop being an annoying child and would just watch the tv so my earliest memories really are formula one at michael schumacher ferrari red that sort of kind of oh, wow. kind of thing and that's i can't remember what age i think my parents sort of said i showed an interest around sort of three years old of, of race cars so everything that i had to them wear would be <laughs> reds you know little early learning uh race hat I remember and little race suit had to be red everything had to be red so yeah that's where it sort of stemmed from and then I went um go-karting at the age of eight years old and it went from there oh wow and was that you know to go go-karting at eight and I read someone that you learned to drive at six yeah that- yeah <laughs> like, a, I, so my granddad thought do you know what we'll just take it to an airfield we'll um, yeah and off you go so I remember just lots of cushions i don't think there was a photo camera mobile cameras weren't around in those days it would yeah. have been good to have a photo but yeah yeah it just uh, i remember sort of just driving around in in a big circle very slowly what was it what was it like go-karting at eight i'm assuming you're probably the only girl there or? uh there was it was very few compared to what there is yeah. now very very few girls there was a yeah that, i actually started quite late you know, a lot mm. of kids these days and start at sort of like four or five years old. Yeah. So even back then, you know, some of the drivers that I was racing against, they, they first stepped in a car at four. So I was sort of a late arriving to the scene and um, it was indoor, an indoor go-kart track um, not far from Oxford. Yeah. And yeah, really, really enjoyed it. It's then sort of took to it and loved, loved the racing side of it, really. Was there a time back then 
even as a eight-year-old, where you realised you were actually quite good? Like, did you look at yourself on a grid and think, "Huh, I'm faster Probably than you"? Probably every eight-year-old thinks, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm so yeah. good yeah. at that time." I am the so. best. But something must um, have happened in order for it to be like. Some, there would have been a light bulb. Maybe not for you as an eight-year-old, but certainly for a parent or from somebody watching going, ah, hang on, this girl's got something. Yeah, I think the owner of the Cartex, I think was the name of the track. It was actually near Grove, near Williams. Um, I think they sort of said, yeah, you should try outdoor karting, you know, seems Mm. to have the hang of it. And that's obviously what set us off to to go outdoor karting, really, and get a proper kart. Amazing. And, And at 16, you were the youngest female racing driver who took part in a Formula Renault race. Like what? At sixteen, and at that age, because you're also very successful. Like, well, you you played for Reading Hockey Club, and also Chadlington Football Club. So you're yeah. very sporty. <laughs> yeah, like Sport. I think at the time when um, just before I was turning eight, my mom, I was playing tag rugby. I love it. Uh, Get to do everything. Yeah, I was playing football, and then I was go karting. Uh, I think the hockey sort of started when I was about twelve, and. My parents were like, right, you can't play all of these sports. You've got to try and focus on one. So obviously chose the racing. Yeah, chose the expensive one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. chose the most expensive one. So that was their own fault for giving me a choice. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, but even so, like I've now I've had to cut back on the sports. It was only sort of a couple of years ago I was trying to play sort of football, the hockey and the racing and, you know. The hockey, I like to try and play that in the summer. Um, I play it a lot sort of in the winter, but even now I've sort of had to step back in the summer because obviously if I get an injury, yeah. ball to the ankle, I've had a few injuries from, from hockey, broken finger and stuff. Oh, Not going to be ideal for no. for driving a race car. So yeah, I had to sort of cut back on the sports, but you know, I still manage to do them in a good way really, especially the hockey of sort of keeping fit. So just enjoy sports really. So from uh, the age of 16, you're winning uh, this, all these accolades. Was that when you were like, this is definitely what I want to do for, for a career? Or was it still something you were just seeing how far you could get in racing? Yeah, I think the problem is with, with motorsport you know, as a whole, across all sort of forms of racing, it's very expensive. Mm. So obviously at that young age when I first started, you know, eight-year-old, mm. I don't really have too much concept of how much things cost. Yep. Uh, obviously it's more when I got into my teens that I realised, okay, it's, it's expensive, but I really in, enjoyed it and, you know, we managed to get some sponsorship. Um, it's quite a bit of funds from sort of local funds and then, you know, through family friends, we managed to scrape a bottle and get some, get some sponsorship and then it got to a stage you know, back in sort of 2014, I won my last championship, and then 2015, didn't have a full-time drive because the next step was just going to be way too expensive. And mm. yeah, it just, it's it's tough. It's not easy. There's a lot of drivers that have not, that have had, you know, really good success and probably should be in Formula 1 or in Formula mm. E even. And they can't push because they haven't had the money to sort of progress yeah. and get themselves a bit more notice. So. so around was that around the time where you thought Formula 1 isn't worth me trying to somehow break into because of the funds but like was it around that time yeah so it's probably i think when did i sort of stop racing would have been like 21 22 uh i stopped for about five years but yeah it was then where i thought yeah the f1 dream's probably over now because you know if i'm having this break out of racing it's gonna be really hard to then step back in you know, it's not, people say, it's, oh, it's surely it's just like riding a bike. Well, it's definitely not no. like sort of stepping <laughs> in riding a bike. So, no, it, it was it was difficult to, to know, sort of come to terms. So I never gave up hope. And then a series came along called the W Series, which yeah. I think we'll talk about a little bit later mm. on. And that sort of kick-started my career and, and sort of helped me get into to roles like 
like I'm in now here with Envision. So what did you do in those five years when you weren't? Uh, I worked for my dad as a doing building work he's a builder so um, what was that like did you feel like you're never coming back into racing or? um well I, I i mean i was still going to race tracks yeah. i was still coaching um you know coaching drivers which i really enjoyed um yeah. some track days sort of kind of stuff you know teaching people yeah. and then sort of in the week um did the, the stuff for my dad so yeah it was it was tough especially when you saw people that were racing yeah. on track you know when i was at race weekends uh, coaching that Oh, I've beaten that person. Yeah, they're mm. still driving around yeah. racing. So yeah, it, that was frustrating. But yeah, fortunate enough that the opportunity came around, and yeah, was able to take that. How did the opportunity come around for the W Series? So it was a new championship. It was you know there's never a concept like that that had been done before, where you know you have to usually you have to bring funding and it's expensive. Whereas the W Series, they they pay for all your racing. So as the female drivers it's a female only championship you don't have to bring any money to to the table as such um you sort of just turn up and bring it bring your helmet etc and you and you get to drive so that was fortunate that 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 mm. championship sort of came along and that was yeah the first season in w series or first full season of w series their first championship was in 2019 well one thing i think it's probably quite obvious um with um women in racing um, have you come across the, you know, what we all expect, you know, you're, you're a woman driver, like certain opportunities not coming your way, certain funding opportunities maybe not coming your way because of you being a woman or has that not? Um, I wouldn't say I've had too many sort of things mm. like that in terms of sponsorship. It's, it's hard whether you're sort of male or female. I've learned really, um, through sort of sponsorship that it's, it's who you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah. it's. I could, I don't know, use a company, for example, your your supermarket company, I could write to them and be like, oh, can you sponsor me? But you don't know who I am. Or we could be best mates and I write to you and you go, yeah, actually, I'll help you because we're yeah. good friends or whatever. Mm. So it, it's it's difficult in that sense. But yeah, the, the sponsorship's so hard to come by. And, you know, it, it was one of one of those times where I, I still kept trying, but unfortunately nothing was, was coming out of it. And then sort of your hope starts to fade. Mm. But then luckily, as I said, the W series sort of came along and, and yeah, I'm here now. And let's talk about your time so far in the W series. Um, obviously you're enjoying it right now and it's giving you back that, I guess, zest for racing again. Yep. Um, when it first started, I remember people maybe not being so sure about it, questioning it. How, do you feel like all those critics you've kind of proven as a as a series wrong? Yeah, I think you're always going to have your critics, mm. whether you know you're a football player on the pitch and you've scored the most goals out of everyone, you know, in the entire season. There's still going to be someone that doesn't like the idea or mm. what you're doing. So the W series, I, I sort of try and see things from both sides. So I saw why people maybe thought, okay, it's not a good idea because mm. motorsport has been one of the few sports where male and female drivers can race on track at the same time it's not yeah. like sort of tennis matches where you got the men's and, and the women's uh, tournaments so I, I i get that but at the same time there was there was very few females in the sport and it was sort of very limited and there was like a barrier where you know females couldn't really enter the sport not just because of money but because they had no one to sort of look up to role model wise mm. so i think i kept my options open with with that and i just saw it as an opportunity to get back on track because I was you know 
doing work for my dad, which, you know, as much as I love my dad, it probably wasn't the most ideal thing I wanted yeah. to be doing and, and doing the coaching. You know, I, I've been driving since eight years old, so I just wanted to be out driving. So I saw it as an opportunity to get back into racing and hope that it would lead to to bigger things and, and more things, which, mm. yeah, it has so far. It's one of those things I'm very happy to kind of hold my hands, well, not happy to, but ashamed in a sense, to hold my hands up and say that I was one of those uh, skeptics when I first heard of the championship and for the simple reason was yeah, you know, not because it was against girls racing at all but it was more about the why does this need to exist you know the opportunities mm-hmm. there's no there's no difference between a, a, a man and a woman when it comes to the ability to drive a car we all have the we have got the equal yep. power to think and to control it's not athletics it's not a physical it's not about physical strength and for me, I kind of sat there going, "This is surely this is doing harm more than good. It should be the opportunity should be open to anyone anyway." But then, as time went on, and the more I kind of followed the series, I realised that it, it actually isn't that simple, is it? Because there are, it rely, and we as humans, we rely on the ability to look up and see somebody doing something to know that oh, actually, I could potentially have a go at that. And I think in this world of motoring and motorsport, especially, is it is still a very male-dominated mm, space, yeah. and it must be so intimidating so scary so almost inaccessible for certainly you know younger girls who are perhaps like you did they had a go at karting somebody said oh you're actually really good at this you should go have a go at this and making it more of a thing and then suddenly you look out into that big open universe of motorsport and go oh there's one or two women in it and everyone else is a bloke like maybe maybe it's not so for that reason alone and I think it was that realization for me that made me go ah this is actually a not just a good idea, it's kind of a crucial idea because, as you say, there is so much talent and there will be so much more undiscovered talent now with girls and older females driving who may never get the opportunity to show just how good they are or, or have the ability to even try. Yeah, you know, to... there's a, like a lot of young girls that I speak to now, sort of they... Have, you know, if I still go to kart tracks, you get some some younger girls that are like five, six, seven. I think I met a young girl like about a few months ago, maybe February time, and she said, "Oh yeah, I started karting because of W Series. I didn't realise that you know we we could do racing mm. until she oh, watched wow. the W Series. She was only about seven years old. And it was really really sweet actually because you know she we had pictures taken and and sort of chatted away. So it was really oh. really nice yeah. to to hear that. So it has done good because this young girl saw it on the tv and yeah. thought oh wow that's really cool i didn't yeah. realize i could do that so then that gave them the confidence but yeah when i started you know i can't remember when i started karting out so long to think i think it was about 2001 there were very few out mm. of the the class that i was doing um i think i was probably the only girl if not maybe one or two other girls whereas now there's a there's a lot more but believe it or not i was quite quiet and shy and I remember just sort of being going to the driver's briefings and hmm. yeah you're just surrounded by all these sort of boisterous boys smelly and boys yeah, yeah. So like even though I played football and <laughs> yeah. tag rugby these are my friends at school so yeah. then going yeah. to a racetrack yeah it was quite quite daunting and I think you know people think well just you know just go and talk to them it's you know as an eight-year-old it's not quite that that yeah. simple is it really no is that why you like you do a lot of obviously mentoring and we talk about alpine as well what is it about mentoring what is it about kind of talking to reaching out to like this a new generation i think it's just just 
giving them the confidence of to to go forward because it's still quite a male dominated sport. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as I said, it's heading in the right direction, but there's still a long way long way to go. So I just enjoy it, and it stemmed really from from the coaching side of things and of working with drivers and sort of taking me back a bit to when I was, you know, sort of say some of the drivers I work with are arranged between about eight years old to sort of 20 years old and, and above really. So it's sort of, I would have liked to have had that at my age and have someone there sort of going, actually, you need to do this. You need to focus a lot on your fitness or yeah. you need to do this or that. So I think sort of nurturing the talent and, and helping them sort of on their path because, you know, it's, a, it's a, most sports are a big world. Mm. There's lots of avenues you can go down. Mm. There's lots of people that also will be in there to help you, but will also be there to trip you up as well. So it's yeah. kind of going on the correct path um, and making sure that, you know, they're doing everything correctly. And, yeah, I just enjoy it. And hopefully, you know, we'll have one of them in F1 one day. Yeah, that was going to be my next question, actually, is to talk about F1. Because you had a, a little kind of flurry towards it, didn't you? And there has often been that question that's been brought up you know why aren't there any female formula one drivers but it's not a simple straightforward answer is it it's not a it's not a case of um just being able to say well it's because of this this and this but what is your opinion do you when do you think is the the likelihood of us seeing a woman getting into a formula one car on a grid with the likes of perhaps of of the time the lewis hamilton's the vax Mustap- vax Verstappen, max Verstappen's, um you know being front of the grid and it being just completely not even a second thought given about it. I mean, I think I was probably asked this question definitely in the last 10 years, and I probably would have said, oh, five years' time, five mm. years' time. Yeah. So I'm going to say it again, five years' time, hopefully yeah. we'll see. You really see. think it'll be five years? I mean, there's a lot... With the W Series now, there's a lot, and, and not just the W Series, but for women's sport in general, whether mm. it's football, cricket, you know, across the, the board, rugby, it's growing. Yeah. And, you know, we're seeing a lot more sort of crowds and interest from broadcasts now. And, you know, I think the women's... I actually went to... managed to get tickets for the England game against Germany last year or the year before. Mm. And it was a sellout crowd. Yeah. Like, yeah. you wouldn't have it's got amazing. that five or six years yeah. ago. You're probably lucky to fill half the stadium. Mm. So it's growing massively. So which And I think that's going to help. Yeah, because unfortunately there there is talent there. There's mm. female talent there, a hundred percent. But it just takes like a lot of money. And to give an example, you know, to have a decent career uh, with the right amount of track time, heading in the the right cars, you're probably going to need at least three million pounds to yeah. even get to the door of sort of Formula One, really Formula Two. Uh, and then you know you have people that spend. 10 to 20 million on buying a seat in Formula One. So, yeah, of course. Yeah, you're going to need 23 million. So, if anyone's got that, I can yeah. surely find yeah. a driver. It's funny you should mention that because we brought you here today. Sorted. And, well, let's talk about Envision. Tell us about the work you do here and, and how are you finding being, you know, part of Formula E and the whole electric vehicles? Really, really enjoying it. And, you know, I was one of those that actually didn't sort of fully watch Formula E too much at the start of um, when it first started. I was one of those people that was a bit like, oh, you know, but we need this, the sound of the cars. I was one of the, sort of one of those boring people that, that was <laughs> sort of like, I'm here for, just for the sound. Me but too. actually, <laughs> when I watched Formula E, you know, this was prior for, to joining Envision, you know, I really, really enjoyed the racing. You mm. know, the whole 
concept of, of and how they do it. I really enjoyed it and then was fortunate enough to be invited by the team to take part in their, their rookie test a couple of years ago. Uh, this was obviously pre-COVID when life was much more simpler mm. and loved it and, and really enjoyed it. And the team here, you know, guys and girls work really, really hard. And my sort of main role really is, is, is the simulator. And yeah, they work so hard. But to have that sort of input uh, with the team is really nice. Don't get to go to too many races, but when I do, you know, I really enjoy. I really enjoy watching the Formula e races because they're just so unpredictable. The mm. racing's so close, mm. and yeah, you just there's a points where I think last year there was about the final round. There's about five or six people that could have won yeah, the championship, yeah. and you don't really get there any, that mm. anywhere else. Certainly not in Formula One. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, you know, where do you see yourself? You know, we've mentioned with F1, like five years and might be a, a female driver, but yourself in the next five years, do you see yourself doing more mentoring? Do you see yourself doing more? Yeah, I, I hopefully see myself doing more driving, um, yeah, more more coaching, yeah. more, more mentoring, um, you know, doing it with the, the Alpine F1 team for their academy. I'm, I'm new role this year and I'm really, really enjoying that. That's really cool. So... Yeah, hopefully I'm still doing sort of the exact same things, maybe sort of racing and Formula E and sort of bigger roles will be re really nice. Yeah, amazing. And a question that I put to Nick beforehand, and this is one that's fascinated me because until I heard it in our um, first conversation that we had, I wasn't quite aware just how much power of these cars in the Formula E cars generated from have more power regen. next year. Yeah, so 40% so regen power. Now, as somebody that drives a lot of cars, which you do, and certainly racing cars as well. What? How easy is it for you to transition from, say, single-seater, yes, standard internal combustion single-seater car to a Formula E car, where now you have the ability to drive with single-pedal driving? Is that Does that require a completely different mindset, or is it one that you just gel with and get on with? I think it... I mean, I don't know what Nick's answer was, but I'm sure it's hopefully probably something similar, that you just sort of switch between the two and mm. you you seem to find the transition yeah. i think with formula e the biggest difference from let's say the racing that i'm doing and probably the racing that nick's doing away from formula e is you know the the energy saving that they have to do in in the races that the drivers have a lot going on in their ears not just using their hands and their feet as well pulling different paddles listening to beeps and bops in in their ears so that side of thing, racing a Formula E car is probably a lot harder because mm. you've got, you're on street circuits, which are dirty, they're mm. narrow. Yeah, you've got to true. save energy, got to drive fast as well. Then you've got the added element of, of attack mode as, as well and making sure that you hit the loops correctly. Mm. It's so hard to get those those loops. You see so many, you see the top drivers in Formula E still struggling to, to get the attack loops. Try not to lose positions and all in 45 minutes. Yeah. So it's uh, a lot that's going on. Yeah, I totally agree. And what, like, would you love to do, say, like with endurance racing, we talk about Le Mans, like where would you like to do, you know, things like that? Yeah, I've, you know, I was probably a bit, when I was younger, um, and that's again what I say to some of the younger drivers that, that I coach because I've learned from my mistakes and I try and help them so don't, don't make the same sort of mistakes. <laughs> here's my We're, list. <laughs> yeah, here's my long list. We're... <laughs> Don't do any of this. I mean, everyone's human. They, they Drivers, I'll make mistakes mm. in the future. I've made a couple of mistakes racing this year. and you, So you need to admit that you will make mm. mistakes at some point, but just trying to learn from the mistakes. And that's one thing that I try and then pass on to the younger drivers. When I was about 16 to 20, then my full focus was I want to get to Formula 1. There's nothing else. just want to do that. I don't want to do endurance racing. And then obviously I was out of racing, 
and coming back into it and having then the taste of a bit of endurance racing that I did in America and then Formula E, mm. I think it's just really to keep your options open. So yeah, Le Mans would certainly be an option for me. I'd like to think in the future to, to experience that kind of crazy race, 24-hour race would be really cool. So yeah, yeah and that's, like I said, I tell my younger drivers just keep your options open because you can have a fantastic career racing in something else it's not just all about Formula 1 and that's probably what I was going to ask you um, one of my last questions is what advice would you give to say yourself or yeah, younger drivers younger female drivers coming through if they want to come into this industry I mean across the board like there's there's so many different avenues you can take it's not just about the driving so sometimes mm. you'll meet um, like the girls on track initiative I don't know if you've heard of that, yeah. that the FI Motorsport UK sort of have a play a big part in. You can go to the track and the girls can try everything. So they can try a bit of go-karting. They can try, I think they've got, can build a, a hovercraft or something. They can try oh, wow. a bit of uh, doing the, the tyre change. Uh, they learn about loads of things and also media as well. Yeah. You know, and driving is not for everyone. It's yeah. just plain and simple, but there's other avenues that you can go that the engineering yeah. side so i think that to someone a young child okay you can say driving might not be for you but you can do this or you can do that and there's actually quite a few girls that, that or uneven boys that i know that tried the driving struggled either financially or thought do you know what this is not really for me and mm. now you know some of them are engineers in formula one so mm. it's yeah. yeah they still got a, a really cool career working at the top um so yeah, I think that would be keep your options open. Mm. There's other avenues you can take, and belief, believing in yourself as well is is a big thing. You know, because as I said, it can be quite daunting going to a, a room full of of men. Hopefully, the yeah. the ratio is coming down now, but but still, like have the belief in in your ability. Yeah, nice. I think that's really powerful, and I think hopefully there'll be a good few people listening. But that might switch on that light bulb either for you as a as a listener or perhaps you know, some parents of a young aspiring driver that's showing all sorts of hope. It might be that opportunity to yeah maybe give them a little nudge on that uh, on yeah, that passion. Yeah, sure, definitely. See um, see where it might lead. It doesn't have to be as you say the expensive multi multi million pound um, racing seat. No, it, it, it can be, be cheaper to go down the engineering route. Yeah, yeah <laughs> a lot absolutely. cheaper. Absolutely, but yeah, the more the more diversity. I think like everything in life, the more diversity we see mm. and equal opportunities we see in all aspects of of our lives the better and motorsport is and has been such a male dominated space it's about time that it caught up and mm, and it yeah. was just it, it wasn't seen as a spectacle you know we shouldn't be having any conversations like with the one we're having now where it's like oh isn't this great because you're a woman and you're in motorsport it should just be you're another driver yeah no exactly yeah. And, and I, I think that's one thing that came up from the w series people saying yeah but you're singling them out like yeah. being a female driver like you ask probably every single driver in the w series they will say i want to just see myself as a driver and we're just trying to seize the the right opportunities mm. for us that's it's it doesn't mean like oh okay we're, we're here to, here to stay in w series forever no certainly not for me and certainly not for the drivers that, that mm. i help in the championship you know that see that as a stepping stone and yeah to move on to to bigger and better things but it's about visibility like that that yeah. young girl that saw you know came up to you at the race that's going karting at seven she wouldn't have thought of that if she hadn't seen the w series no, exactly exactly so it's, it's doing w series is doing fantastic thing, mm. things on track and off track as well which mm. Yeah, it's really great. Yeah, I agree. It really Perfect. is. Well, Alice, thank you so much for giving us a bit of your time today. It's been no really, problem. really wonderful talking to you. I'm sure our paths will cross again at various motorsport events. 
Um, the day that we're recording this, in fact, we're all about to head to Goodwood. So, yeah. Um, yeah. for the Festival of Speed, yeah. which I think by the <laughs> never, time. I've never been to Goodwood. Fe- I've never oh, been to I've really? been to Goodwood the first I time haven't. this year. Oh, Me too. I went to do some filming, and now I've never gone to Goodwood Festival of Speed. Yeah, for the first my time. first time as well. There we go. Fantastic. We'll be newbies together. <laughs> <laughs> I'll point you in the right directions for things like the best burgers. I've got to go up the hill, so I need to probably work out which way it goes. Apparently, the wall should always be on your left. That is correct. Yeah, get so close, it's on the but right. I've close. made a big mistake. <laughs> yeah. That is screwed up. Yeah. <laughs> so the great thing is, a bit of an inside secret here, right? But there's loads of videos on YouTube. <laughs> Just watch the wall. Watch the wall. All of the all of the amazing like front angle. Everyone's done that thing now where they put the GoPro basically on the front splitter so close to the road. It gives the perfect indication. Obviously, the breaking points and things are going to be slightly different. But yeah, a bit of YouTube this evening, you'll be fine. Easy. Yeah. Just drive slowly up it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks so much for your time, yeah. and uh, yeah, look forward to catching up again soon. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Alex. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. Uh, hello, I'm Mike Lug, the Technical Director at Envision Racing. Hello and welcome to the fourth segment of our Envision Racing podcast special. And as you've just heard, we have been joined by the Technical Director, Mike Lug. Mike, thank you very much for joining us. No worries, thank you. So, tell me, what does a Technical Director do? I'm sure that's not an easy question to answer. There's no straightforward answer, but what are you? Um, yeah, I guess uh, it's, it's a varied role. Um, uh, primarily, I guess to to provide some some guidance and, and technical direction, hence, hence the the name, um, to the uh, engineering side of, of the team. Um, so that that's a range from looking at the the immediate things that are directly in front of us, so the the session that we're in or the session we're about to to enter into, um, making sure we we maximise the the performance out of the car and and everything that's um, within our control. Um, but then also at the same time looking ahead to to planning for the future and, and making sure that um, in a year's time or a couple of years' time, when, when we come to another race, um, we have the things in place uh, to, to do well there. Got you. And where did this all start for you? Have you always been in and around electric motorsports or did it start from the more kind of traditionally found internal combustion sports? Um, I've always been in uh, interested in motorsport from, mm-hmm. from a young age and, and it's the only thing I wanted to do. So... Um, studied mechanical engineering um, back in Australia, where I'm from. Um, did some motorsport while I was there, um, and then started working in, in V8 supercars um, in Australia, which is the, the top level category there, yeah. um, which it was and, and is um, a, a great category. Um, so worked there for a few years, um, and then wanted to, to broaden my experience, um, and knowing that in Europe there was a lot more motorsport to do, um, decided to, um, yeah. Make the make the trip over, not knowing how long I'd be here, um, but but uh, yeah, to to try lots of different things, um, knowing one day I could could always go back to Australia. Yeah, was there a plan in place? Like, did you leave Australia thinking, right, I'm going to go and work for that particular team or that particular series, or was it kind of turn up and see what happens? Um, the latter, really. Cool. Um, yeah, pretty pretty much turned <laughs> up. I, I guess um, yeah. In, in hindsight, it was it was more of a challenge, I guess, than than what I expected. But yeah, basically. Booked a one-way plane ticket and, and got my uh, backpack and headed over and um, yeah then uh, got into um, uh, lots of different categories um, when I first started but, but very quickly started with uh, Carlin which is a team that has um, basically every single seater between karting and, and Formula One um, cool. so I was lucky enough to work in, in lots of different categories so Formula Three GP3 World Series by Renault GP2 um, Basically, yeah, lots of, lots of different cars, learning lots of different things. 
um, and yeah, sort of making my way up uh, nice. through the categories. So. so now we're here sat in the Envision building and the offices, which is of course quite a far cry from you know, comparing Formula E with uh, V8 supercars is quite a contrast, isn't it? Yeah. Um, how did that transition happen? And at the point of perhaps applying for the role or being approached for the role, what was your general consensus or thoughts about e-racing? Um, so back back when I was at Carlin, we we were involved in um, season one of, of Formula E. So um, I was I was involved back then and and thought it was a yeah very new, very different, um, but very good championship to to be involved with. Um, and then one of the drivers that I'd worked with in a couple of categories um, was racing at um, what's now Envision Racing, um, and he wanted to continue working with me. So I made the move um, to Envision and and was here for seasons two, three, and four. Um, and yeah, that's, that's how I started. Wow. And what are the main, I mean, again, one of the interesting things that I've been discovering and, and discussing with our guests so far today is the main differences as both the driver in the difference between kind of three pedal manual gearbox car versus a car where you're effectively able to drive it using just one pedal. Did that take a lot of learning? Did you kind of have to go back to school a little bit on that front or was it, was it fairly transferable? Um, I, I guess a lot of it's transferable. It's still um, an engineering challenge where it's, it's basically the same thing, trying to trying to optimize and find find a solution as, as to go around a racetrack as fast as you can with with a bunch of limitations and, and compromises. So um, even though the specifics are quite different, um, it's still, I guess, in general, the same kind of procedures and thought processes. But yeah. mm. um, just talking about different things, talking about a battery rather than fuel or tires or or something that might be a limitation in another category. Yeah. So talk us through the build-up to a race weekend, because I think a lot of people probably don't realise the amount that goes into those few days. Um, so, t- yeah, talk us through it. Say, um, building up to the London E-Pre, for instance, when do you start even thinking about that? Um, I, I guess, yeah, a long time before. Um, and, and certainly um, from the minute the, the race, a couple of weeks before, finishes, then um, for, for most of the team, um, 100% of their focus is, is on that, mm-hmm. that race and building up. So um, it's a lot of time um, in, in our workshop going through simulations and reviewing the previous race or the previous year in London. Um, and then also our in-house driver in the loop simulator um, is used by uh, quite a lot by our drivers um, to go through and, and basically uh, run a whole race event um, yeah. before we get there multiple times so that um, we can go through all sorts of different scenarios and, and make sure we're ready. And how do you get the best out of, of, of the team? Um, that's quite an impossible question. <laughs> there's so yeah. much. Uh, yeah, so it's a, yeah, a very difficult yeah. um, question. And um, the thing with Formula E is um, it's a world championship. It's top top level sport. So um, everyone that you're competing against is is the best in their field and, and it's um, extremely competitive. So it's um, those small margins, I guess, that, that make mm. a difference. So um, making sure we're thoroughly prepared, um, we've, we've covered all bases. If something um, sort of unexpected happens um, during the weekend, we, we've already thought about it and it's, mm. it's not so unexpected for us. Um, and then I guess, yeah, just believing that, that if we follow the right processes and, and work hard, um, then the results will, will come. And what are the biggest challenges with electric racing compared to the other championships you've worked in? Um, I, I guess, like I touched on before, there's there's always um, different elements that you're trying to, to make the most out of. 
Um, one of the most difficult things with, with Formula E is more the, the format of the weekend um, mm. rather than the car itself. Um, because the championship is typically in city centres, that's, that's where the problem is, um, where they want to um, uh, tell the world about electric mobility. Um, it, it means that they don't only want to close the city down for a, for a day, so they compress a whole, what's, what's in other categories, three days of, of track time down into a single day. So it means, uh, yeah, with the, the first time the car moves is, is on race day. Um, so there's a lot, a lot that can happen in a very short amount of time. So um, that's where the work beforehand with the simulator going through all sorts of scenarios means we can very quickly just jump onto plan B or C or D. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's, that's mad. With things like the city circuits, how much can be done on a sim beforehand? Especially, I'm thinking about the circuits that are perhaps a new addition for this year. You know, London for a while was in one circuit, and now, of course, it's at the XL. So are there times where the drivers are kind of going in blind at some points? They're having to learn on the job as they go, and then perhaps, hopefully, it would have been put into a sim somewhere so that they can at least practice for next year. Yeah, definitely. That's, yeah, that's um, very true. Um, a lot of the, the circles we go to, as you say, are new each year, so we've, we've never been before. Um, but even if they are ones we've been to before, they're, they're a temporary circuit that's, mm. that's made the day before. So um, there are always changes, um, and there's no time really to, to learn from and, and adapt things um, once, once you start running. So um, it is a challenge, um, and that's one reason why we rely on the, the simulator. So even if it's a new track we haven't been to, like the, the layout in London, um, I believe, will, will be slightly different. Um, we'll have scans of, of the area, then um, have modelled all that environment um, oh, wow. on, on our simulator. So the drivers will see what we think will be um, what they see um, come so race day. Almost like an educated <laughs> guess of it. They might be a left, might be a right. <laughs> Not entirely sure, but you'll need to break. Uh, or will you? That's the thing. Yeah. So, yeah, the... Talk me through the actual... So the technicalities of the car. Am I right in saying... Is it five moving parts? Four moving parts? Um, yeah, I guess. Uh, well, so there's there's um, not a lot to it. I guess if if you break it down, um, um, an electric vehicle is is simpler in in many ways. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the chassis, the the drivetrain, and and four wheels. I guess in in basic terms. And does that make? Do you approach in that case weekends with a bit more of a, a relaxed? stance knowing that there's a lot less to go wrong on a technical side than you know something going wrong on an internal combustion engine has a piston ring been put in properly is a mistake been made when the gearbox was built i guess you're going into this knowing that there's certainly a lot less that could potentially have gone wrong at some point but i guess things potentially still do go wrong yeah they do um and i guess that just makes it even more of a challenge as in if they don't go wrong for us they don't go wrong for competitors so it's yeah it makes it even harder to to um to yeah get some form of advantage over over others you have to perfect all the little details um and it's it's really small gains i guess the, mm. the differences between between teams and with the championship being very much a equal or level playing field when it comes to the car itself because of course everyone's getting the same product how easy and how much flexibility have you got in adaptations that you can make that might give some sort of advantage to your team over everyone else's? Because, again, I'm thinking back, I'm going to use V8 Supercars as my other comparison just simply because I love that series. <laughs> I think it's amazing. But, again, you've kind of given so much more creative control 
be that you opt for the Ford or the Volvo or the Holden, you've got the ability to pick engine specs, pick braking specs. With these cars, you don't have as much of that flexibility, do you? Well, how much can you get away with? Yeah, um, so the, the good thing with Formula E is they're, they're focused on the, the part that matters, and that's that's the electric drivetrain side of things. So um, the, the tyres, the chassis, the, all the bodywork and aero side of things is, is exactly the same for everyone. Um, so then it comes down to, yeah, the, the differences between um, manufacturers on the on the drivetrain side, if, if they can produce something that's slightly more efficient than, than another manufacturer. Um, and then also how you get the most out of that and, and the software um, that, that um, is on board the car, things you can do to, to yeah, control how it operates and, and help the driver control how it operates. Cool. Amazing. And outside of Envision and your personal relationship with cars, are you being, would you say that since doing more work with Formula E, you've been a bit more of a convert towards electric cars or is the passion still with the big V8 stuff? Um, I, I still like cars. I have, I have a passion for the, the world to change and, and improve and, and reduce our, our emissions. So um, I, I guess it's something that, um, yeah, maybe I wasn't that passionate about beforehand or didn't really know so much about, but, but certainly now it's, it's something that I'll, yeah, whether it's at a barbecue with mates or whatever, I'll, mm. I'll talk about the, the climate issues and, and push that side of things and, mm. and why it's important. And, and that's the good thing with Formula E. It's from a sporting side and, a, and an engineering motorsport side, it's, it's a great championship, but then there's something more to it as well. It's, it's got a, a bigger message that it's trying to promote. Yeah. And how are you feeling about next season? Because, of course, new car has a link in with Jaguar. Is yes. that right? Yep. How's all that looking? Is it exciting? Is there any kind of apprehension or trepidation? Um, no, it's, it's really good. Um, so we've, we're halfway through season eight at the moment, but um, since before this season started, we're already working on next season. Um, and yeah, now working, working closely with Jaguar, um, they've manufactured their, their first car and, and getting into testing with that. Um, and we're working very closely with them um, and they're certainly a, a strong team and, and will be a strong partnership, mm. um, the, the two teams working together. So, um, yeah, really looking forward to it. And, and the step from the Gen 2 Formula E car to Gen 3 um, is, is great as well. It's, um, it's a big step up in performance and, and it should be exciting. Yeah, definitely one to watch for sure. Well, Mike, thank you very much for providing a bit more of a kind of technical in-depth into it. I think I feel like today in all the conversations we've had, we've learned a different angle of it and certainly for me personally it's been a great opportunity to learn more about mm. Formula E and, and yeah I'm really quite excited about these Gen 3 cars yeah, I think I this is going to be quite a big deal just one last question when it comes to the electrifying side of things did you have to go through that horrendous rigmarole training of the high voltage testing with those scary big hooks um, yeah I, I have done that in the past um, thankfully now I'm not I'm not regularly touching the car so I, uh -huh. I don't have to get involved in that regularly but yeah I have I have done that in the past yeah I can't even begin to imagine like doing those courses and you're like oh cool so what's the big um, shepherd hook thing? oh it's to pull me off if I get sucked into the car effectively and electrocuted which is quite scary I think a lot of that though is is just making triple quadruple check that it's safe but yeah. it's they are safe there's there's never been an issue with them so no fantastic well thank you very much for your time and uh yeah we look forward to perhaps bumping into each other bumping into each other again at a race week we've been talking about the possibility of coming along to london yeah that'd definitely be great. so yeah, yeah it'd be interesting if we can bump into each other again there have a closer look at the cars and 
see what the week end is all about. Brilliant. Yeah, sounds great. See you there. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. There we go. Thank you very much for listening to this week's podcast. That was quite a lovely selection of conversations. It was so good. And do you know what? I love um, how passionate everyone is about being part of Vision, but also electric racing. Yeah. It's made me quite excited, like even more excited, I should say, about electric racing. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I definitely would agree with that. I was definitely, as I think I've made it clear in a mm. couple of the chats, a bit of a sceptic to it at the very beginning, yeah. the early stages. And now I definitely feel like things have been changed. I definitely will look at Formula E in a different way. So yeah, hopefully you, dear listener, feel the same. Maybe it has, maybe it hasn't. Let us know. Podcast at drivenchat.com. If you'd like <laughs> Another to email. Yeah. <laughs> subject line I think Formula E racing is dot 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 and you can say great so yeah but for now we will say thank you very much for listening thank you for your time don't forget we have a whole collection of things for you to enjoy on our website drivenchat.com on the YouTube channel and of course via our social media feeds as well at drivenchat but for now we will say a huge thank you and we shall speak to you again in approximately one week's time the Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.